0: Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around. You'll be glad you did.
1: You are here for me to enlighten you. If you ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent, base. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know your lines, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs>
0: hello peoples and welcome to esoterica cinema the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them i am the incomparably perceptive jason peters and with me as always is the man who once spent an entire year of his life wolf sledding across the alaskan tundra Mr. Ryan Seabold! What's up, Jason? How's it going, buddy? Ah, man, I have missed that what's up, Jason. I didn't realize it, but it was like, ah, fresh, fresh batch of heroin straight into the veins, sir. Yeah. It felt good. It felt real good. Yeah. We are back here on season three, everybody. Can you believe it? That's right. We have made it back for another slate of 20 films. Well, technically, we did 30 films in season one because we were doing those back-to-backs. We did 20 films in season two, and we are back with you for season three. Going to do another 20-film run. But first, we're going to go to Ryan, and he's going to give us a little bit of color on this. Well, I don't know if it's a lost year, but it was definitely... Uh, a year that was not spent doing this show or everything else. Wolf sledding across the Alaskan tundra. Tell us about it, Ryan.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it was actually pretty profitable. I was <laughs> I was up there filming uh, Snow Dogs 6 through 12 with uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> um, yeah, it was fantastic. It was uh, me... Cuba Gooding Jr. and uh, it was a while ago, but we met, you know, it was, but what happened was Cuba Gooding Jr. left um, because he had some money saved up. And so he got helicoptered out of there and they didn't like wake me up or let me come along for the ride. So I literally had to ride these, uh, this dog sled uh, out of Alaska myself. And it took me the greater part of a year. Um, Not, not advised, very ill-advised. Wow. So, the, a couple things going on here I want clarity on. First
0: of all, uh, bravo on the very Peter Jackson esque maneuver of getting the studio to commit to not one, not three, but six Snowdog sequels at once.
1: <laughs> yes. And it, so, they were serialized, it was one large. Saga. Very very Peter Jackson-esque. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was quite a story. The script was enormous, although not a lot of talking because the cameras kind of focus on the dogs and this and that. But uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty epic. Epic for me, trying to find my way the fuck out of Alaska.
0: Yeah, I feel like each successive Snow Dogs as well is just a series of, like, finding the protagonist new things to slam his balls into, right? (laughs) Like, in the first few, it's, like, trees, right? Like, dog sledding trees. And you get the, like, you know, and then bong. And then he's, like, got his arms and legs sticking out past the tree and, like. You know, holds his nuts as he, like, peels off the tree in a very cartoon fashion. Hey, in a very— And then just each sequel, it's, like, finding, like, new things, right? So then in, like, Snow Dogs 2, you know, he's he's banging his nuts into, like, street posts. And then, you know—but then, like, by, by Snow Dogs 7, they've gotten, like, super weird with it. So he's, like, I don't know, banging into, like, you know, homemade moonshine equipment or some shit. I don't know. But, I mean, that's why we got to watch the movies. I guess you don't want to spoil it for Well,
1: us. yeah, correct. Let me, let me just go— um... I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be talking about this. This is kind of off the record, but I do have a bit of a scoop for you. Um, Snow Dogs 6 through 12 uh, is going to be directed, or it was directed by Christopher Nolan. Uh, it's a gritty reboot, very dark, and it's very, very serious. Um, we got into our characters, took months of training, and uh, yeah, it was kind of a uh, Emil Hirsch into the wild scenario that we were dealing with up there. Mm. Um, so now also before you continue, I do just want to
0: let everybody know, cause there might be some confusion. This isn't, this isn't Christopher Nolan, like C H and a, this is actually his German pa- counterpart, Christopher Nolan, K Christopher Nolan, N O L I N. Yes, that's correct.
1: And so, you know, continue. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you stole my thunder. Um, yeah. I like to, well, <laughs> look, I'm just trying to name drop here and say, yeah, I work with Christopher Nolan. I never specify it's the K one uh, and not the C one. It's kind of like the uh,
0: John Voigt thing from Seinfeld. <laughs> right, right. It's <very> <laughs> the car owned by John Voight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep, it was, uh, yeah. So we got uh, Snow Dogs 6 through 12 Gritty Reboot coming from the German <laughs> Christopher Nolan with, an, with a K and an I. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. The
0: Gritty Reboot? Uh, wh- I don't know. Do you have a Do you have a good German accent? I always want to do that really high pitch, like "Oh, hello, Mister Bond." But as you can tell, it's right, right. I
1: always do the the Simpsons kid, like you know, "Oh, thank you very much." Uh, Oh, no, that's not it at all. We we'll just spent the whole time,
0: the whole first episode of season three doing like the world's worst <laughs> accents. We're off to a. I gotta <laughs>
1: knock the rust off. Worse than
0: usual, folks. I gotta
1: knock the rust off. <laughs> I need so I need a. That's no, the
0: German. You have to go up here. You have to go to the Oh, there you go. It's like up here.
1: There you go. And
0: and you have to get. Yeah, you have to get quite indignant and go very high. I'm here
1: to tell you, we just lost our whole German listenership.
0: <laughs> oh man, we were doing so well in we German.
1: crush in, in Germany. Ger- in German. Yes,
0: in Germany, I'm
1: the D- I'm the David Hasselhoff of podcasting. Yeah.
0: Sorry, sorry, German people, we're just. I mean, you should know we're idiots by now. If you're if you're listening to us, expecting anything but absolute nonsense and garbage opinions i mean you would have typed out a long time ago so i think i think they're they're used to it they expect it so
1: between now and episode two of this season i'm gonna do a full training montage of voices uh that i need to get into character <laughs> with so i'm ready for you i should have known i should have known season one you're coming out the gate asking me for an accent but i wasn't ready i should have been ready i smell a
0: comedy sketch
1: i'll work on it ah yes i'll get it there it's good i'll get there you, you got Owen Wilson and uh, Jack Nicholson out of me. I'll, I'll work on some uh, nationality. I think, dude,
0: between the two of us, we got to do like Owen Wilson and Al Pacino at a, some sort of backyard barbecue, right?
1: Uh, wait, is Werner Herzog German? Can I just default to my Werner Herzog? You can, absolutely. <laughs> my, my nihilist German? Yeah, that works. <laughs>
0: Awesome, dude. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, we've got a movie to discuss here this week. But before we do that, real quick, do just want to let everyone listening know that, uh, you know, in keeping with having a new season three, we've done a little bit of a refresh. Right. So first thing is, if you go over to the website, you'll notice that that's a little More nicely polished. We're actually building that out. Um, If we haven't yet, it should be several pages instead of just a one-pager moving forward. Um, So, you know, expect that uh, soon. And as well, we've got our brand-new Season 3 list, right? So, Ryan, obviously we looked at 20 films last year. And with those coming off of the list, we had to replace those. And as we were, you know, this is always a bit of a challenge. It's always a combination of fun and challenging for Ryan and myself because, you know, we always get to put new movies on there that we want to see. And that's exciting. But then there's also an element of like what films do we put on there, you know, because ultimately anything that goes on the list has the potential to be reviewed on the show. And we found that there's like certain films that tend to be a little bit more. Amenable to discussion a little bit more interesting to listen to so you know when we've done like some of the broader comedies those don't really end up working so in addition to the 20 films I think we struck another couple out and I think if you kind of had to take one word to kind of summarize the films that we put on and replaced with I think it's your films. Is probably the best way that I could describe it. So, you know, we've got some more PTA on there. We made sure to add There Will Be Blood because it's – maybe it's his most popular, but that's definitely something we want to look at. We made sure to put a couple of Fincher titles on there, Social Network, I think maybe even Zodiac, and we've got some more Wes Anderson on there. I'm trying to think who else do we have on there. Oh, we've got Taxi Driver uh, we've got Apocalypse Now. So just a lot of those like 70s through late 90s, early 2000 auteur films.
1: Basically really movie titles you've heard a of. lot of. Let's those. just say
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, and, I mean that's the funny thing, you know, Ryan. We got to take for granted. It really depends on when you say that, who is listening, right? Because people who are our age, they're going to know these titles. You know, it's, it's all the films that we grew up with. But a lot of the younger listeners that we have, A lot of these films are new to them, you know, and and we take for granted that like, okay yeah, you know, you and I have seen Fight Club dozens of times, but there's people out there that have never seen Fight Club. Uh, There's a lot of people who are just getting exposed to Paul Thomas Anderson through Licorice Pizza, people who are in, you know, high school and early college. And now they're going back and just checking out Boogie Nights for the first time, right? Just checking out Punch Drunk Love. So, you know, I I think we kind of take for granted sometimes that just because, we
1: are super familiar with a film.
0: Doesn't necessarily mean that everyone else is.
1: Well, know? dude, I mean, uh, it breaks my heart to even say this out loud, but we're probably as far away from Boogie Nights today as you and I were from Chinatown as kids growing up.
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm sure of it. So,
1: yeah. I mean, that was no doubt in my almost mind. 30 years ago. So fuck me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. And, uh, hey, how fitting because I think the uh, movie that we are going to look at today is probably about 32 to 35 years old. But oh, before we, we do yeah. that, there's w- – yeah. The before, but before we look at that, before we toss to you for a description, there's one other thing that I'm really hoping that all of you listening help us out and participate with, OK? We actually went out because it's just something ridiculous and fun that we've always wanted to do. We went out and got a voicemail. That's right. We have a toll-free – phone number where you listening can call and leave us a message now here's the thing we're calling this the esoterica cinema hotline for right now because we're creative individuals like that does not mean that you have to call and talk about anything cinema related if you do that's great but also i mean ryan look how many how many times have i told people that they should reach out If they happen to be at a cafe enjoying a muffin and they need somebody to tell it about, I feel like there's a lot of people that in the past wanted to reach out, but it was just too cumbersome to write an email, right? Now you, person enjoying the muffin at the cafe, can call us. You can sit there, literally be eating your muffin, and dial this toll-free number and give us your muffin experience as it is happening. In real time. In real time. In real time. And if anybody does this, I promise you that will make air. That will make (laughs) air so hard and so fast, I might even double it up and put it in again at the end of the episode. So please, please, if you are eating a muffin at a cafe and listening to this show, I want you to dial this number, okay? Hello, everybody. So it's me, Jason, and this is probably not going to surprise you at all, but uh, it turns out... By trying to save a buck or two on a less expensive provider, I ended up getting scammed. Well, almost. I was able to pull up from the tailspin at the last minute and not provide any info. But yeah, the originally provided phone number for the Esoterica Cinema Hotline that I left on the episode, no longer valid. So I've got a new one for you here. Please call this one. It's a reputable provider, and I paid like two or three times as much as I was going to pay for the fake one. Go figure. But uh, yeah, so... Phone number is 818-483-6285. Once again, 818-483-6285. Hit us up with your nonsense. We'd love to get it out there for everyone. And you know what? I'm even going to go and extend that invitation to all of our non-muffin eating listeners as well. So you know what? The, The rest of you that aren't eating muffins at a cafe right now, I want to hear from you as well, okay? And we want to hear about anything under the sun that you've got going on. We want to hear what you think about, oh, perfect thing for you to do, call us up, tear us a new one over our Tucker and Dale review, like absolutely everybody else in the world has. You don't need to just wait until we come around in person or online. You can call and tell us how much you hate that we don't love Tucker and Dale. Fair. With that being said,
1: Ryan... Please give us our description on our first
0: film (laughs) for season three.
1: Today's film is from 1987, and it's fucking RoboCop, buddy. And I'm so excited to talk to you about this one. Uh, Great way to open it up. I'm going to do this in uh, my Werner Herzog German accent, because fuck you, I can. Yes, yes. Yes. In a violent, um, near-apocalyptic Detroit, which is really just uh, normal Detroit, uh, Evil Corporation Omni Consumer Products wins a contract from the city government to privatize the police force. To test their crime eradicating cyborgs, the company leads street cop Alex Murphy, played by Peter Weller, a fantastic actor giving a tremendous performance. In an armed confrontation with crime lord Bardocker, played by Kurtwood Smith, the father also from that 70s show, <laughs> so they can use his body to support their untested RoboCop prototype. But when RoboCop learns of the company's nefarious plans, he turns on his masters, as we all should one day, in Revolt, released in 1987, directed by Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There you go. Thank you, Werner. I appreciate that. Yeah, no. You're so welcome. uh, That was some sort of read there, buddy. Thank you for
1: having me. (laughs) Came
0: all the way out here just to read this description for us. Sir, doing the Lord's work. I had um,
1: nothing else to do. So I figured, why? Why not? (laughs) Thank you, Jason.
0: (laughs) Yes, in between making three films a year and reading all those books, I'm sure. (laughs) It was easy to squeeze in.
1: So. Jason, for the first time in a long time, I must ask you, Jason, what did you think about this movie?
0: (laughs) 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 Well, Ryan, I'm going to be happy to tell you about that right after we listen to this trailer for Robocop.
1: Get the best of both worlds, the fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer, onboard computer-assisted memory, and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you. Robocop. This guy's really good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer cancer is crime let the woman go you are under arrest
0: you you better back up pal your move
1: (laughs) creep what are your prime directives you have the right to remain silent you have the right to an attorney anything
0: you say may be used against you Cyborg, you idiot! We recorded every word you said.
1: You're dead! We killed you! His memory's admissible as evidence.
0: You're gonna have to kill it! Get out of cop for God's sake! <laughs> Robocop, the future of law enforcement. Now, I know what you're asking yourself. Was that the Terminator theme song (laughs) set to RoboCop? And absolutely it was. Because how much more meta does it get than to take one Android theme song and place it over another?
1: Man, yeah. There's a lot of 80s goodness in here. Let's just throw it all in a stew.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. To answer your question, Ryan, I loved this movie. I had a great time with it. Uh, is it the smartest thing that I've ever seen? Absolutely not. Does it overcome all of its deficiencies? Yes, and then some. Yep. I'm not sure how, but somehow it does. I agree.
1: <laughs> Wholeheartedly. So for the, so for the get... listeners, I need to just step in real quick and give a brief uh, summary uh, or or intro here to kind of lead in this. I, I had to twist Jason's nipples to allow him to put uh, for me to put this on the list. Um, I had to convince him that Paul Verhoeven had some like deep seated commentary on the justice system. And he wait 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 wait. He's I'm an sorry. Are you telling me
0: that wasn't for fun? You weren't twisting my <laughs> nipples for fun? No. I thought that was just two friends hanging out,
1: twisting each other's nipples, making each other feel good. What the fuck? Yep. Welcome back to this week's episode of trade. Twist and Nips with Jason and Ryan. <laughs> I apologize. Continue. Two friends, Twist and Nips, talking about movies like RoboCop. Um. <laughs> it's not gay, bro. It's just hanging out. Twist and Nips, bro. Yeah. Whatever. Welcome. Hey, hey guys. Welcome to this week's episode of Twist and Nips. I'm Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Paul. <laughs> it hurts a little bit, but, you know,
0: it's okay. It's okay. It's a it's a good hurt. You know, sometimes sometimes pain makes us grow as people. And other times it just allows us to tap into some of our more primal
1: perversions that perhaps have come to the surface. Join us next week on Twisting Nips so where we talk about Asian cinema. Um, so, yeah, Jason. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> Season three. Um, 22 <laughs> minutes. Holla. Yeah. Yeah. J- <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, Jason wouldn't let me put this on the list. <laughs> He's like, no, that's stupid. We got to, like, be smart about this. We got to talk about, like, adaptation and, like, all this. Stuff. And so I was like, dude, trust me. And I was, I, l- look, huge payoff. I'm so glad. And then Jason goes and buys the holy shit premiere package <laughs> Blu-ray that you had to, like, order in from some goddamn place, uh, from Paul Verhoeven's okay, house. Okay, first
0: of all, it was... It was not just a Blu-ray, okay? It was a 4K Ultra HD, and it just so happens to everyone listening, yes, I have one of the very limited edition Steelbook multi-disc 4K Ultra HD RoboCop Releases from Arrow. There Arrow it is. Just came out with a robot with a Robocop uh, release, and it is fucking amazing. And I learned so much. And quite frankly, a lot of that information is going to just be peppered out throughout today's like a like a fine recipe where you don't even notice. It's just very organically sprinkled throughout to where the rosemary just kind of you know what it just it oof, just elevates it. Yeah, you know? but it's not, it. it's not
1: overpowering. It's not overpowering. It's just as much as you want. Yep. It's the right amount. They're just the perfect, and this movie is the right amount of everything, and I loved it, and I can't wait to talk to you about it, Jason, with your copy of the Arrow distributed Holy Shit premiere package delivered to your house by Peter Weller for ten bucks. (laughs) What did you think about this movie? Let's go so when this movie
0: starts out first of all it's an orion pictures release and you know for all of the great studio intros that have existed over the years i have to say i think the orion pictures intro might be my absolute favorite i'm going to agree uh it's yeah it's that or try yeah, for anyone listening that doesn't TriStar, yeah TriStar is a good one so for anyone listening that doesn't recall TriStar, of course would be the uh
1: is it a Pegasus or a
0: unicorn? Yeah, it's, a it's Pegasus. the Pegasus.
1: And, the, and like the trumpet in the background. the fucking lully. Who doesn't know that? I get <laughs> chubbed up hearing about it. Yeah. Otros. I will argue that Orion has the better movies probably. I would have to like Google that and look it up. But I, I probably want to say Orion harkens back to like some deep-seated childhood nostalgia from just those good, good films that I loved from that era. And this is one of them.
0: Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did maybe focus on more of, like, sci-fi or genre films like that. But, and be. for anyone that doesn't recall Orion, by the way, we're in space, some stars light up, they come down, they form a circle, spin around each other, and then the word Orion spells out in very, like, 80s block lettering with, like, a little line going through the top of it.
1: Fantastic. It did just occur to me, this is uh, certainly an act of narcissistic love because I probably saw Ryan in the title and I was like, yeah, that's what's up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and when we open on the film, we have a low overhead shot of Detroit at dusk. Lasts about four seconds. The sky's a piercing blue as the camera swings past a parking structure. And before long, we are greeted by big masculine block letters that were most assuredly state of the art at the time. What do those block letters read? Why, of course, Robocop
1: Fucking Robocop (laughs) I was so chubbed up When that came on the screen I was like Fuck (laughs) Yes This movie wastes Zero time In this whole film There is like No dead air I was just like In it all the way
0: Yeah, no, it doesn't stop. And of course, the font couldn't be more 80s if it tried, which is very appropriate because I think the film as a whole couldn't be more 80s if it tried. Correct. Now, when we open after we get the credits, funny thing. So we open on this news program and the tagline, by the way, is you give us three minutes. We'll give you the world. Now,
1: Ryan, does
0: that <laughs> does that actually ring any bells with you whatsoever, by the way? Before we get into
1: it, I'm certain I've told a woman or two that before in my life.
0: <laughs> okay, so funny thing. So, because um, I know that you didn't grow up out here in Los Angeles, you came over a little bit later. There is a, a radio news station called KFWB News 98. And literally, the tagline for KFWB News 98 is You give us 22 minutes. We'll give you the world. It's the oh, same fucking wow. tagline. So they were
1: like... That's brilliant.
0: Well, hey, let's take 22 minutes, make it three. I'm sure, you know, Hollywood screenwriters native to Los Angeles isn't that big of a stretch. And, of course, you know, they also, in in addition to, you know, having that baked in, there is a little bit of attention span commentary, right? Like, ah, oh, people these days can only take three minutes. They can't even handle 22. But uh, I just wasn't <laughs> sure if you had... I wasn't sure if perhaps KFWB was, like, national and you had it in Tampa or anything like that. It was that. not. Okay. Nope, that is an L.A. thing. So...
1: Very cool. I hope you enjoyed it. That one was just for you.
0: (laughs) And after that, by the way, I know we both loved this because RoboCop has fake commercials in it. Where have I seen fake commercials before? Oh, yeah. This very damn show.
1: (laughs) And uh, honestly, I don't remember that at all. I've not seen this movie. I think you're in the same boat. I have not seen this movie in a long time. Yeah. So uh, I was so excited. This was one of those films that... I'm so glad we got to just choose ourselves to start the season because, selfishly, I've wanted to watch this on my own. After we added it to the list, I'm like, God damn it. No, no yeah, no, like you've RoboCop. brought it up
0: so many times, dude. You're like, I hope Robocop yeah. gets pulled. I hope Robocop gets pulled. It's like, buddy, let's just let's just do it.
1: Yeah, so uh, because I haven't seen it in a long time, right? So, like, I have... Only nostalgic memories of this and, like, the whole, you know, catchphrases and stuff like that. But this is deep-seated into my childhood subconscious, but not in my conscious. So I totally forgot. My point being, I totally forgot about the fake commercials that resonate throughout this film. Just randomly cutting to it to break it up. Talk about an awesome segue (laughs) idea. I don't know if that inspired us somehow, subconsciously, to do our own shit, but... God bless them for it if they did because I've had uh, a lot of fun making our fake commercials along the way. So
0: Yeah, man. I think the uh, first commercial that they do is for, like, a Yamaha fake artificial heart or something. And, like, it's just funny the way that they're, like – he's, like, palming it and, like, pushing it to the camera the way that, like, Chris Paul would a basketball or something in an Under <laughs> Armour commercial. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Uh, there's so many, like, little things like that or just the way that, like uh, – Verhoeven will have him, like, walking, like, left to right in one shot and then cut to him walking, like, right to left in the next shot. Uh, There's just, like, so many, like, little cheesy, intentionally cheesy and poorly done things like that that you could tell they just had a lot of fun with that, which means in turn, of course, that we're going to have a lot of fun with it, right?
1: Right. And, uh, you know, this whole thing, uh, it's my understanding. I cannot wait to hear your insight based on all the uh, commentary and shit that you listened to, but it's my understanding um, that this was... Verhoeven did set out to make a hyper-violent satire. Is that correct? I mean, that's kind of the whole shtick here. Well, hence the fake commercials and the the one-liners and stuff like that. So,
0: okay, well, so I don't think that that's necessarily a question that has such an easy answer because I think that depending on who you talk to, there's there's a lot of different interpretations of the film right not necessarily interpretations in terms of what it means but in terms of like what is it trying to say you know well there's is different it people straight action it. film is it satirical is it a mix you know how much of each because you have the writers
1: the, you've got the director you've got the actors all trying to do different things and so it, it really is yeah. like a sci-fi gumbo you know it's pretty weird and here's the interesting thing is that This was very early. This was,
0: I believe, his second English language film, Paul Verhoeven, that is. That's correct. He did not. He did not have command of, A, the language, but more than that, he really didn't have command of, like, American sensibilities and storytelling. So, for example, like, uh, they went through about five different drafts of this because Verhoeven kept wanting to do different things, and so he's actually went on record for one of them saying that, like, his third draft or so, he actually made the writers go back and input a love affair between Murphy and Lewis, like Murphy being the RoboCop. So like RoboCop and Lewis have this romantic affair. And in his words, the, the, the screenwriters kind of ended up convincing him like, Hey, we're going to do it, right? You're paying us to write this, but, we don't think it's going to work. And, you know, uh, this uh, being an American film, we really should focus more on, like, you know, the family aspect and blah, blah, blah. But Verhoeven was like, no, no, this is what the people want. And then he went back and read it and was like, oh, you know what? You're right. Uh, I've been talking to some of my uh, American friends and they they think it's very silly and stupid. So we're going to do what you say. Um, and so, like, I think that I think it's so random. <laughs> I know. <laughs> As he puts it, he's like, well, yes, well, the you know, the robot did not have genitals anyways, so it would have been difficult. Like, but Jason, you could call of... it a
1: you, Jason, you could call it a Robocock. It's OK. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of the things that I kind of came away with from this movie is that, like, it wasn't overthought. I think that a lot of the decisions that. People sort of look at it through this lens and it's like, oh, you know, the, the hyper violence is saying this. And then you talk to Paul Verhoeven and it's like, I just really like violence. I wanted that shit to be bloody as hell. And it's like, right. oh, I don't think he's making the statement you all think he is. I think Dude. this guy really likes right. violence. And you guys are like, oh, oh, so brave. Oh, so interesting. And it's like <laughs> it reminds me very much of the, the South Park Remember the South Park where Mr. Garrison brings in Mr. Slave to teach things and he's like yep. shoving stuff up his ass and all the parents are like, oh, he's so, so brave. brave. Oh, so, so brave. Yeah, <laughs> and he's just like, what are you guys talking about? I'm just fucking around <laughs> over here. You guys think this is art? I just made this guy blow up 17 times and you guys are calling it art? What the hell yeah. is wrong with you?
1: No, I was uh, <laughs> I was expecting when I had you put this on the list. I really don't, because he made Starship Troopers and like, you know, uh, some of these other what I thought were commentary films. Turned out the dude just loves a schlocky action picture. So good on him. Yeah. Um, you know, but then you also had, so this was, you know, we're going to get into all this and I don't mean to skip ahead, but this was, you know, written by uh, Edward Neumeier and Michael Miner who mm-hmm. wrote Bl- what Blade Runner. Right. And so, uh, and this and kind of Starship Troopers, well, six through 12 snow dogs uh, edition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Yeah, I I believe there's a lot of talent involved in this, all kind of doing separate things, almost like, like, do you think this was like their demo reel or something? Like, what was going on here behind the scenes? Do you have any insight in that?
0: Yeah, so this is actually a film where they had wanted to make kind of like this uh, sci-fi action film, like the studio is. And then uh, this Neumeier guy had basically the first act written out, right? So pretty much everything up until Murphy getting, like, shot to shit and but he didn't really know where to go with it after so they brought in this minor guy who was like a big like Philip K Dick fan and you know Jorge Luis Borges and all these sort of like strange you know abstract sci-fi guys and he basically worked with Newmeyer to flesh out the second and third acts got it and yeah and then so um but yeah you know like it, this it was basically the thing about this film is it was really just ultimately like kind of a B movie and at the end of the day, like it's just pretty much like one of the better B movies ever made.
1: Like it might the be day. the best B movie, yeah,
0: yeah. But the funny thing is that I do think that since then, its reputation has kind of like given it this mythology to where it's a little bit. It's it's almost considered by a lot of people to be more than it is. I mean, dude, the so the, in addition the 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 limited edition 4K thing that I got, it also came with a booklet right? The way that like a lot of the Caterians do. Christ, yeah. Carry and on. it had this like, yeah, and it had like several like, you know, 10 to 15 page essays. And the first one was talking all about how Robocop was an examination of trauma. And it was going into all of these like very deep psychological concepts and talking about how, you know, when uh, Robocop's coming back to life and he's accessing these memories, it's like you know, this concept in effect. And it's like, I promise you, Verhoeven had no idea what the hell that concept was. <laughs> if, if if that occurred, it was completely by accident or, you know, just by the instincts of the people making the movies. But like, I think that this was very much an instinctive film. I think that a lot of it was not overthought. It was more just like, hey, this feels good. I like this. This is interesting. This is fun. Let's Let's go with it. So when the movie starts off proper after we do all this, we're intro quickly to Kurtwood Smith, He's a gang leader. We're told that he's killed 31 cops, and he's the leader of this gang. And then Murphy arrives, it's his first day on the precinct, and we immediately see a lot of unrest, right, with the different cops around the area. There's talk of strike, and he's quickly paired up with Lewis, who is played by Nancy Allen, who's a female who embodies the kick-ass and chew bubblegum trope in that she literally kicks ass and chews bubblegum very early on in the film. Those, those, those things. From there, we jump to a corporate building, and it's this huge, big corporate building, and there's a meeting going on on the 95th floor. The We're 95th introduced to floor. a character <laughs> named Bob, who's the young, smarmy go-getter played by Miguel Ferrer. Oh, a little interesting tidbit that I found out. Miguel Ferrer is cousin... Of one Mister George Clooney. Oh shit! That's awesome. And he probably really resents that he got the
1: jeans he got and not the ones that George got because they look a little <laughs> different. <laughs> I love I lo- Miguel Ferrer is fantastic. He's fantastic in he's this. He's great, but he's yeah. not a
0: handsome leading man. He's oh very no. much a smarmy character actor. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, and uh, we're also
0: introduced to uh, uh, to uh, Dick. Uh, Dick Jones, who is the like number two at the building, a little bit of an older guy. He's played by a guy named Ronnie Cox. Well, another interesting thing here as well, Ryan. So, (laughs) Kurtwood Smith, okay? I only know him from two things. I know him from Robocop and I know him from that 70s show, okay? Neither one would be a stretch to see him go from one to the other, okay? Uh, Apparently, a large part of what they did this film is they actually – Cast a lot of these actors against type. So specifically, Kurtwood Smith was a nice guy, and he was a, also a theatrical actor. I, I had no idea that Kurtwood Smith would be a stage actor, but sure enough, big stage actor. And then Ronnie Cox, who plays Dick Jones, was always cast as the neighbor, the nice guy neighbor, the G shucks G Willikers neighbor guy. I could see so him in basically. Flannel. Yeah, yeah. And so Verhoeven very much wanted to do as much um, casting against type as possible, which is in large part why they ended up going with Kurtwood Smith and Ronnie Cox.
1: That's fair. I could totally see that. Um, I will also say Peter Weller's introduction uh, in our first opening cop scene. Uh, he was so rosy-cheeked and innocent. He had a little baby face, little innocent, cute little baby face, just one of the Pinchos cheeks. So uh, I'll go along with you on that. <laughs> he wasn't the rough-and-tumble, rugged you know, uh, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Willis type. You know what I mean? As far as for being an action hero. Um, I would almost put it more like Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop or something, you know, like he was kind of smaller. A little bit of smarm and swagger
0: to him, you know, just kind of the way he would smile and the way he like sits there, you know, flipping around his gun and things like that. So yeah, you know, I think he's got a little bit, a little bit of swagger that he brings to the job and kind of just, you know, lightly joking around with um, Lewis and such. So I buy that. And uh, from there, we also get the demo of uh, one of the movie's best aspects that it has to offer, one, Ed 209. That's right, and Ed 209 is a giant bipedal enforcement droid, which, by the way, in case you wonder why they call him Ed, that's right. He's an enforcement droid, 209 series, Ed Two oh nine.
1: That's right, and folks. His are... dick still works. He does not have erectile dysfunction.
0: <laughs> ah, ED-209. That's right. That was originally what they were uh, going to call Viagra, and then they decided <laughs> to rebrand. Oh,
1: <laughs> but uh, I'm going to cut yeah, that Yeah, remember
0: off. Viagra? Yeah, topical jokes on esoteric Cinema. That's what we're here about. Well, hey, listen, you know, when you review 35-year-old movies, you get 25-year-old jokes. That's, That's how right. it
1: goes, okay? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> wait till i bust out my george bush senior impression
0: <laughs> that's right and uh we also uh read my lips this is a good movie <laughs> um we, now we also get a uh, an, an example a demonstration of the ed 209 so they're basically going to have him ma- you know order the random board member who's holding a gun to set it down and, uh, you know, cease and desist type thing. And the guy does it, but the robot just keeps counting down. And, you know, it's like uh, it's authorized to use deadly force. After a handful of time, everyone starts freaking out because this thing's about to, like, start shooting. They push the dude away, the, the poor board member that's got selected for the demonstration. And then Ed 209 just unleashes a flurry of bullets and guns him down in this super, super graphic way, using so many squibs, and that was actually, like, the scene that got the film the X rating when it was released. So for anyone listening who doesn't know, this film was considered so gory when it was released that it was actually given an X rating. No NC-17 existed at the time. It was just R or X, and the MPAA decided that it was too violent to get an R, slapped it with an X rating until they did, like, seven different recuts, and that was one of the scenes that got on the X rating.
1: So this was also around the time when I realized how desensitized I've become as a human being, <laughs> right because like I was halfway you know I get through this scene and a couple others uh that we'll get to here very shortly. um a lot of the violence is stacked up in the front of the the film um yeah. leading, leading up to our really Robo- saw a lot of the gore Robocop character right and uh none of it really i mean it all kind of seemed like schlocky violence and like over the top to where it didn't really bother me um it was never but everything i kept reading about this film when i got online afterwards to research was like how shocking the violence was it was so over the violent and nobody could believe it um and paul verhoeven uh, you know had owed everyone all these explanations and it's like i don't know man like it was just a fun romp to me oh man that probably reflects more on me than it does on this movie <laughs> <laughs> but you're right the squid budget had to be like outstanding the whoever was doing the uh the visual effects, uh, special effects on this film. Good autumn.
0: Yeah. Well, and a large part of that probably had to do with the fact that it was commercially successful. You know, when you think about a lot of these gory films throughout history, right? Like how many people saw Dead Alive in theaters? I mean, come on, freaking nobody. And I mean, that was still five years after this, six years, whatever. Sure. But. You know, I just think that, like, it it probably was shocking at the time because, again, I I remember, you know, my mom going to see RoboCop. My mom's never going to see Dead Alive, but she'll see (laughs) RoboCop, you know? Touche, touche. So I'm sure there was an element of, like, the types of people that were also in that theater and watching this stuff. They were very much probably not used to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, eventually this film was marketed to children. Um, there were RoboCop <laughs> toys and a RoboCop cartoon a yeah. year after this, uh, on Saturday morning cartoons. So fucking weird that, uh, what was once a rated X film got trimmed down and then all of a sudden there's a Saturday morning cartoon and then I could buy RoboCop toys out of the Sears catalog. Yeah. Man, it was weird being a kid in the 80s. <laughs> well, and, you know, they did make, you know,
0: sequels that were PG-13 and the series, you know, t- made a TV series, didn't do anything for one season, I think it was, but the one thing I do want to mention, though, is just about these special effects. This is kind of one of the very last times that stop motion animation would be used. The Ed 209 is completely stop motion animation. So and it looks great. You know, it's a lot of fun. And Ryan, one of the things that I learned as well in the special features of the things I was watching is like they were so committed to. To using practical effects and using as little composite effects as possible that they even went out of the way to try to make the muzzle flash and muzzle smoke authentic to the, the, the stop motion animation that they were using. So to get that, they actually used a combination of lighting and then used cotton to get like the, the muzzle smoke. And so it's crazy. So you can actually like what if you pull up. Yeah. So if you pull up those scenes where like the, the Ed 209 is blasting off his guns and you pause it and you like frame it like forward by forward, you'll actually see that the smoke is this very wispy, like drawn out cotton that's been painted with various shades of like yellow and orange to give it this muzzle reflection look. Oh, wow. And all of that was just done like
1: uh, like like in camera right there. It's amazing. Dude, that's sick, man. Um. I, I n- yeah, I got to go back and rewatch it for that. I knew, I did notice obviously the stop motion animation with the, uh, ED209 character. I I the second it came on screen, I'm like, oh, Jason's eating this up right now. This is so <laughs> Ray Harryhausen, uh, Jason of the Argonauts Absolutely. type shit. I loved it. Very Tauntaun and uh Star Wars. I do know, uh, so while we're on the topic, let's go ahead and scratch a couple things off my notes. Um, yeah, uh, I'm sure you saw, maybe you didn't, um, that a uh, the, the, the RoboCop costume was designed by a Rob Botton or uh, Botton mm-hmm. Yeah um something like that, yeah. 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 Uh, did you read about this? He worked with uh, Rick Baker and did the uh, uh, the creature effects in the cantina scene from Star Wars. He did all the um, uh, creature effects for The Thing and John Carpenter's oh, wow. films. He started with him in The Fog. And uh, he worked with Stan Winston. He apprenticed under Rick Baker. I believe he started when he was 14 years old uh, working with Rick oh, Baker as crazy. an apprentice and then came up through that, uh, those ranks. And so, um, yeah, the, when you're talking about practical effects, like the dudes they had behind the scenes making those practical, practical effects had clout. Like these dudes were, at the time, the best of that. So, yeah, pretty solid.
0: Absolutely. And one of the other things that they did as well is so – You know, today we're very used to with, you know, the various Marvel movies and sci-fi movies, uh, you know, and not just Marvel movies like Dune and things like that, where we get these very grand sort of sci-fi landscapes, right? Or fantasy landscapes, comic book landscapes, whatever they are. And they're obviously done using computers. Well, back before computer technology existed, all of that stuff was done, but like on hand-painted canvas. And so, for example, they talk about that OCP building a lot of this was shot in Dallas and there's this funky uh sort of like inverted triangle building with some jagged edges both of us you know saw the pictures of it uh, that was like the City Hall of Dallas at the time and so they wanted to use that as a base but then have it just extend super high into the sky as a giant skyscraper
1: Nin- 94 so took- floors to be exact, yeah, exactly,
0: right. <laughs> so they took they took a picture of it and basically cut out like right up until the top of the building, and then hired matte painter, specifically this uh, very renowned matte painter. His name eludes me at the time. To you know paint the rest of the building, and then they would do a double exposure of one on top of the other, so that it came out as like one flush image. And they usually wouldn't get it right right out of the ba- gate, gate, right, because it's like a little off or a little crooked because they're trying to match up like two half images perfectly but he was saying that usually after about six or seven takes they got like a really perfect clear uh, exterior shot that they could use and so uh, again you know this was like I said you know one of the last non-computer special effects films that are out there and that looks like practical effects like we've been talking about it looks like some of the claymation for the animation and it looks like these you know matte paintings for these uh, futuristic exteriors.
1: I remember, I can't remember if it was Universal Studios or Hollywood Studios in Orlando, uh, but at one of the theme parks, they used to have. Uh, these exhibits that you could walk up and basically it would take one of the buildings in the, you know, uh, on the horizon from their theme park, one of the rides or whatever. And then if you lined it up just perfectly, uh, they would have like a little square uh, with a p- matte painting to add to it and make it look like something entirely different. And, add, you know. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I got it's kind of interesting. That's what I, that always makes me think of. Is uh, Yeah.
0: Sounds sounds very much the same. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, getting back to the film here, we are intro to the gang very soon, the gang that Kurtwood Smith, uh, a.k.a. Clarence, as his character's name is, uh, the gang that he's in charge of. And, you know, they're on the run. They've got a bunch of money that they just obviously heisted from a bank, but most of it is burnt from an explosion, right? And uh, Clarence is chastising his guy for burning up the money. And that's when Murphy and Lewis ride up on them and the gang all grabs their guns. They're getting ready to do that move where they blast the back doors open and just unleash. They do so, but the car is not there. Car turns up to be on the side of them, gets into a nice little shootout, but the bad guys are able to get away and escape. Murphy and Lewis decide to follow them back to their hideout and then make what, even at the time, but certainly in retrospect, is the highly suspect decision to each sort of go off on their own and try to infiltrate a base with at least, what, six, seven guys? Yeah. And uh, that ends up proving just about as bad as you would expect when Murphy gets (laughs) uh, surrounded by the entire gang within a matter of about 45 seconds. And, I mean, this is where they just unload on him. They, They start off, Clarence blows off his hand. You know, we've got all this sort of blood leaking out from there. And then they proceed to just like unload all of their guns on him. And, you know, some it's for some reason, his face doesn't end up getting blasted. Right. But his entire arm and body. And then we also get that one shot where they ended up obviously making a prosthetic head and like coming around the back and then shooting him through the back of it. But the way it was lit. I'd have to imagine there was a much gorier original shot that they used that for than what made Final Cut. Because it just did seem like something that was kind of unnecessary. But yeah, but still just, I mean, again, just so much gore going around. But at the same time, these days, like, again, I'm not... Certainly not given in the next rate, a next rating or anything, but uh, whatever. <laughs> now after that, dudes rushed back to the hospital. We get flashes of his family as he's struggling to survive. There's this really sort of effective cinematography where it's handheld and he puts it like really low to his body, and we get close-ups on you know the dilated eye and a lot of the blood, and it's just very sort of kinetic. And uh, ultimately, you know Murphy doesn't make it; he passes away. And from there, we get several first-person scenes that follow that sort of show the development of RoboCop, right, as they're working on Murphy's body to convert him into this RoboCop.
1: Right. And, you know, To like replace uh... ED-209 or whatever, right? Because ED-209 was obviously malfunctioned because he blew the fuck out of this other dude when he wasn't supposed to. And uh, so they're like, okay, we need a plan B because we got to get this, you know, cybernetic cop situation uh, out there on the... Free market, so uh, they've already. Yeah, and then that's
0: when, and that's when Bob, the Miguel Ferrer character, you know, sees the opportunity, right? right? And he's like, "Hey, well, uh, I know his thing failed, you know, old, old man Dick over here, but uh, I've got this, you know, secret pro- RoboKite prototype." And Dick's like, "You get out of here with that," and the owners like, "No, no, no, let's hear him out, right?" So they've obviously that establishes their sort of uh you know, dueling with one another, and you know, trying to jockey for position within the company, etc. Et
1: I love that the uh, head of OCP is uh, just known as uh, affectionately as the old man. <laughs> yeah, <love> <laughs> what's the old man got and- to say about this? Well, you know, the old man is <laughs> absolutely,
0: and uh, it's not long before, obviously, the Robocop program proves successful and. There's a, a big party as he wakes up, and uh, one of the things that's interesting is the way that RoboCop is revealed. They actually don't show him right away, right? So the very first actual full view we get of the front of RoboCop is on the monitor as we're following him from the back in a cam shot, and that was very intentional. And then we sort of see him from the back, and then we go to a profile shot where the cops are all watching him walk behind the frosted glass, right? So he's obscured. And then from there, we follow him from the back as he goes into his cell. And then once he's in the cell, we ultimately get the reveal of the front. And all of this was done very intentionally by Paul Verhoeven at the insistence of Ed Newmeyer, because it's kind of funny. They were actually worried that. People were going to think that all of this was cheesy and kind of dumb and stupid. And they thought that when people saw RoboCop like right up front without any sort of lead in or lubing up or anything like that, just like if he was to wake up as RoboCop and we just had like you know uh, a medium shot uh, from the front looking at RoboCop, they were all convinced that the audience would laugh and think it was super cheesy and lame and stupid. And so what they thought –
1: Go ahead. Uh, this could have easily been a trauma film. Like, this could have been a low budget, you know, Russ Myers style or, or Roger Corman style action romp. And it wasn't. Yeah. They did a really good job with it. And to your point, One thing I noticed, uh, you know, and then I'll toss it right back to you is um, uh, so for for being this dystopian, dark Detroit action film, uh, RoboCop and and most of the action sequences were all I mean, the entire film was all very well lit. Nothing was like obscured in the shadows. Nothing was uh, moody or dark. Um, Everything was just out in the open with, you know, eight point lighting. Just boom. Let's kick on the lights and let Peter Weller walk around in this silly suit. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. Um and so yeah, so they they basically, you know, because they were afraid that people would just laugh, they basically were like, "Hey, let's reveal RoboCop in like small increments basically, right? So we'll show his back, we'll show a little of you know him, uh, his silhouette. We'll show his arm, blah blah blah. So that after thirty seconds, when we finally get to that front shot, yeah, everyone's kind of knows what to expect, and you know it's kind of like a soften the blow approach, so to speak. But... Let's ease him into it. I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was exactly. perfect. Yeah, it was probably a good no, idea, was...
1: to be honest.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also, as well, after that is we get. Uh, <laughs> RoboCop and his giant pistol which was actually a, a custom made weapon from the the prop master on set where he basically took the handle of like the largest desert eagle they could find and then took the barrel of this like one-off Russian weapon or something that was actually like a semi-automatic pistol that may or may not have been legal. And he basically like cut that off of that and (laughs) attached it to this, did some, you know, sanding down, gave it a fresh paint job. And then they drilled holes in the side so that they could get that muzzle flash. So that was very much a, uh, you know, that's not a real gun that exists. That was very much, you know, a creation of, of uh, a bunch of people chiming in on what the biggest, baddest ass pistol someone could have is.
1: Well, it's my understanding that uh, the, any pistol they would put in his hand looks small, right? Like because he was much. His outfit, his costume was much larger than people anticipated. So they're like, okay, yes. even the biggest gun we give this guy looks like a little, you know, pea shooter. So we got to like bulk this fucker up.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, one hundred percent. You're absolutely correct about that. And uh, you know, right off, right away, he's in the uh, shooting range, and he's just. Blowing all these different targets to shit and all of the other cops are sort of, you know, looking over and marveling. And then that's when he does his little spin move as he puts the gun away, RoboCop that is. Oh, and Lewis so is watching. Oh, fucking cool. And that's when she recognizes that it's Murphy because we had that – scene earlier on where Murphy was doing that same thing. And she asked him why he did that. And he said that his son was always a fan of this show called TJ laser, where the cop would always spin his rifle before he put it away. And, you know, because his kid only gets his information from TV, he assumes that all good cops can do that. So he wants to be able to do that. So that his son thinks he's a good cop. It's really very sweet. If
1: you, it is. And (laughs) so two things I'll say about this scene very quickly is uh number one, very quick, uh, Something something I noticed very quickly uh, right away is that his footsteps sound like a synthwave bass drum. Uh, yeah. It doesn't sound metallic. It's like almost like uh, the best way I could describe it is an electronic bass drum, and it's perfect. It's, it's so a stomp. So cool. Um, But also to your point right now, what you're talking about him thinking about his wife and his son and stuff like that. uh, Something that I I have here in my notes is that, um, you know, RoboCops, something that separates this film from others to me is that it had a lot of heart for being schlocky and over the top and super gory and actiony. You know, RoboCop is very, robotic, and his brain is very digital, and and he's working on logic, and, you know, you're coming with me, and all of this nonsense, but um, his heart is still there, because he kept reminiscing about his wife and his kid, Uh, he was always very soft to Officer Lewis, Um, and so it was kind of a morality tale that I started thinking, like, well... You don't really see that in a lot of sci-fi films, because so so much of sci-fi is like Blade Runner, where it's you know very dystopian and heartless and soulless and just you know these are the decisions you have to make, man. And but then uh, it did kind of bring to mind Terminator 2 kind of had some of those elements that they borrowed from this. Because Terminator 1 didn't, because the the T-1000 was just this relentless killer. But by the time we get to Terminator 2, Arnold Schwarzenegger was very soft, and we get those hasta la vista, baby, and the thumbs up going down in the lava, and, you know, he gives a kid the hug, I don't want you to go. It was a very heartfelt, sweet, hyper-violent sci-fi, and this kind of like was the start of that a little bit and maybe James Cameron kind of stole from that a little bit borrowed from it a little bit thoughts yeah no I mean well and I think that
0: Terminator 1 in this film kind of came out around the same time Um, Terminator 1 might have even just been right before this one I think I think
1: it was I Um, think it was like 85 or something like that yeah I was gonna say I thought
0: that was 85 and this was 87 so yeah I mean I don't know if they necessarily borrowed from it but I think it was just what you know people were examining and the funny thing is too is that like You know, for people that haven't read Philip K. Dick, a lot of his characters are like that. You know, a lot of people's really, uh, you know, the only introduction to him is through Blade Runner, which, you know, both films, yes, are kind of cold and cynical. But like most of his characters are actually these like very down to earth like wife guys, you know, like they're just kind of these schlubby, no name guys that are like resistant to technology. And they're just kind of good dudes that like their wives and like hanging out at home and like. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, and Newmeyer was a huge, huge uh, – actually both of them, uh, Minor as well, were both big Philip K. Dick fans. So um, – and they kind of like knowingly tapped into his storytelling when they were doing a lot of this. And specifically I believe uh, the whole focus on family was Newmeyer. Um, OK. And that was his influence because one of the things that um, – Verhoeven had kind of Put out there After their failed Second draft Is that He ultimately did want to make A very American film Right And at that point That started informing A lot of the decisions That they made So that's when It became Okay you know what Well in America Like family is huge Right Like family is everything You know that's uh, that's just a consistent the American trope, dream. Which, that's part right. of our culture. Right. So, you know, let's, let's, let's really put a lot of the focus on the family. You know, there's not, uh, you know, we don't look at relationships the same way that Europeans do. So, you know, let's get rid of this whole love affair thing between like Murphy and Lewis. Like that's not an American trope, you know, the score, right. I mean, listening to the score, like that's exactly when, it, when you, If you were to ask me to describe the score in one word, I would be like America. Cause it just, it sounds like triumphant and in an in, in industry and you know especially just like the the clanging of that anvil that's so prominent through so much of like the dude it's Robocop very theme. western
1: uh that's I, exactly
0: I w- what i was gonna say is it is it is it feels like a frontier western
1: specifically yeah, yeah. I was thinking for sure when I turned this on in the beginning I'm like oh dude we're gonna get this awesome synth wave 80s you know neon soaked Miami Vice you know, Kirkland brand, Genesis, Phil Collins score. But no, this was a Sergio Leone, Sam Peckinpah style sci-fi. And I loved it. It was so perfect. (laughs) Not at all what I expected, but it worked.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, you know, by the way, one of the other things we do see real quick uh, in that uh, shooting range scene is that there's a secret fourth directive that we don't know about. So RoboCop has three directives. One, serve the public trust. Two, protect the innocent. And three, uphold the law. And, you know, we see from his first person perspective, uh, you know, via a little, you know, text field that comes up that says fourth directive secret, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're aware of what that is. That's going to pay off a little bit down the road. Another thing I did want to say real quick is so I think by and large um, to put the makeup on, to put the suit on the makeup and everything. Weller was spending about six and a half hours every morning in makeup. And then they got about five and a half hours where they could actually use it, right? Um, so they weren't able to have these like super long shoots with the RoboCop character or with Murphy like in RoboCop when he's not Murphy, when he's RoboCop, right? So uh, because of that, um, <laughs> there was this funny story that they were telling about so, – so when, when, uh, when, when Murphy it just becomes RoboCop and he first leaves – Right. And he's he's marching out of the precinct and we hear the music clanging and he basically says, like, I think it's like the the police chief is going to throw Lewis the keys. Right. And then Robocop says, like, I'll take those. And he, like, grabs them mid stride and then, like, keeps walking. You know the scene I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the funny thing, for whatever reason, <laughs> oh, so this was this was very early on. I'm going to I'm going to tell a story about the suit here in a minute. Right. But for the purpose of this story, the suit was very, very heavy. OK, much, much heavier than any of them had anticipated. Very, very difficult for Peter Weller to navigate in this thing. And it was very one of the first thing, one of the first scenes that they were shooting in this suit was that scene of him walking out of the police precinct and catching the keys on the way out. Okay. well, it just so happened this thing is so big and bulky that between moving and raising his arm like Peter Weller just could not land grabbing the keys. But Verhoeven was one of these like high energy, crazy, like very well could have been all coked up and shit. Right. Like depending on his behavior. But he was like one of these crazy directors that were just very insistent. And so there was like no adjustments to this scene. He was like, I don't care how many takes it takes. We are going to get this scene of Robocop grabbing the keys from getting tossed on his way out, and so they ended up doing something like fifty takes oh, of wow. just that one shot of him grabbing the keys out of the air and Oof. looked down at the clock to see that it had been about five and a half hours, and the entire day was done. They spent oh, an entire wow. day getting that one little three-second insert of him grabbing, snatching the keys
1: out, of dude. The air. If you're the crew (laughs) at this point, you are so fucking pissed. You're like, dude, this shoot's going (laughs) to suck nuts. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's going to Kubrick David Fincher the fuck out of me over this. (laughs) All right. No
0: good. <laughs> and the first stop that we get, by the way, after Robocop leaves, is the convenience store, which is just hysterical. Because this guy's holding up the, the convenience store with the semi-automatic, and it's this old Americana couple, right? And you know, he's like, oh, whatever, you know, get the money, blah, blah, blah. We don't have a safe. I know the safe's right there, blah, blah, blah. And so then RoboCop enters, and immediately the guy turns around and just proceeds to repeat fuck you, like, 18 times in a row. <laughs> and then, like, he turns around, he's like, fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! And just like 17 years, Rob- RoboCop just walks straight up amidst all of this verbal barrages, uh, bends the gun barrel down, and one of the other things that I recognized... a boss recognized, move. Total boss move. One of the other things that I recognized about this uh, moment that would carry on throughout the film is that and, and I don't know if you, you, you probably noticed this. I don't know if you did, but I'm sure not everybody watching the film notices that every single time RoboCop shows up, there is a low drone slash hum slash sci fi buzz. That just picks up and exists in the background. So literally, like we were inside the convenience store. And then as RoboCop opens the door of the convenience store, it literally goes home. And then there's just this low drone through the yes. entirety of the scene. And Absolutely. anytime you see Robocop show up somewhere, that that droning hum shows up with him and and, and right. travels with him. And it's a very interesting little detail that they added. I loved it.
1: Yeah. That kind of goes in play with his synth drum bass drum. Footsteps, too. Yeah, footsteps, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. it's like he's creating his own little synthwave score as he's, like, walking through, you know? And now, a quick word from our sponsor.
0: Listen, kids, if you want to play with the most badass, hardcore, justice-dispensing cyborg you've ever seen, you want Dick Shooter! Dick Shooter patrolling the streets for crime. When bad guys are thirsty for crime, Only this robotic police unit can make criminals chug the salty taste of revenge! Dick Shooter! Dick Shooter! Shoot dudes in the dick! Dick Shooter comes complete with everything you need to shoot bad guys right where it hurts the most... in the dick! Ah!
1: Dick Shooter! Dick Shooter! Your dick doesn't work no more! Featuring
0: rock-hard titanium body armor, a small bottle of amyl nitrate and a monster nine inch Beretta. Dick Shooter pumps criminals so full of lead it oozes out their nostrils. Dick Shooter. Dick Shooter, working those dicks all night. Dick Shooter, Dick shooter blasting that ass apart. Dick Shooter, smoothing out justice juice. Dick Shooter. Dick Shooter, bang the crap out of crime from Mattel. And now back to the show. Now, the other thing that we're introduced here, and I actually do have yet another story for you, Ryan, here, is the I'd buy that for a dollar guy. (laughs) I love him (laughs) so much. So much, right? He looked like he was on a lot of blow, but I don't think he was on any more blow than, like, everybody else that was associated with making this movie, right? But uh, he, he's this bald guy with this giant mustache, and he's like, ah, "I'd buy that for a dollar." The funny <laughs> thing about this, Ryan. Okay, now here's the thing. I've this is only, believe it or not, this is only my second time seeing this movie. Okay, I saw okay. this movie once when I was younger, and I didn't get it. I thought it was, I thought it was cheesy. I thought it was a cheesy B movie, and I didn't understand why people liked it. Cut to today, and obviously that's very different. But this, So I had only ever seen this film once when I was younger. And the funny thing is, as I was watching this, and the I'd buy that for a dollar guy came on, I was like, oh, it's the I'd buy that for a dollar guy. Wow, so funny that they created this on RoboCop, because this guy had a whole series of commercials on regular national television that were huge. And I didn't realize that they had gotten him for this movie. Let me go check it out. Huh, it looks like it looks like he was made for this movie? (laughs) Okay, well now it's now I'm seeing that there are no other commercials featuring the I'd buy that for a dollar guy. So I had this very weird realization where like I had thought that this character was like some company's spokesperson. and yeah, uh, over the years I had built this mythology where like I'd buy that for a dollar was like a series of successful commercials to the point that like I could go on
1: YouTube and find a supercut of all of them over the last 12 right. years. Like the time and to make the donuts guy for Dunkin' Donuts yes, or something like that.
0: Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> time to make and, the donuts. And
0: then, and then to realize <laughs> that it was never existed beyond this film in any capacity, a film that I had only seen once in my youth and did not remember to any sort of degree like that kind of blew my mind, dude.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this was a time when like everybody, like all these brands wanted their their spokesman guy or whatever. Like there was, it was very kitschy in that way. And this, you're absolutely right. I I had no idea, and I saw this movie a bunch when I was a kid, but uh, at least a few times. Um, but yeah, I had no idea that this was that this was the origination of that. Uh, the guy yeah. looks like Burgess Meredith from the Twilight Zone episode where he drops his glasses or something, like. I thought, I was like, who, do I know this guy? Or I kept trying to think, uh, is this an actor that's recognizable? He's not. He wasn't in shit else other than this. And all the hoopla about the, bu- I'll buy that for a dollar was all from this movie and this one role starring this guy and nothing else. And you're absolutely right. And that blew my mind. <laughs> so you're not alone. That's
0: insane. That is insane. That's insane. Uh, The other thing is, is immediately after this scene, uh, I I love for multiple reasons. And this is when the woman is assaulted by the street punks. And there's just something about 90s street punks, specifically in like more East Coast cities, right? Like New York City, Detroit, all these places, right? But like in, in like every Batman comic or like every 80s and 90s action film, the bad guys are often these street punks like always played by white dudes usually have some sort of ornate jewelry right like a chain that goes from like the nostril to the ear and then they always have this like maniacal laughter glee thing (laughs) that they do (laughs) right like every everyone like "Ah, we're gonna get you like everyone's this like giant clown person like these criminals just loved nothing more than terrorizing people like it wasn't about like you know th- these weren't people that were like down on their luck there was no social commentary <laughs> where like people were having to steal because they had no other options nope. they were just in it for the love of the insanely violent belong in a nut house like <laughs> they're in it for the every love single of guy the craft. was the joker dude Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So this is no different. Of course, you know the bad guys are like, ah, "Let's get this girl!" <laughs> and uh, you know they're they're holding the girl hostage, and that's when RoboCop's like, "Put her down, creep!" And then of course he doesn't. So what does RoboCop do? What any of us would do if we were RoboCop? Shoots the guy in the dick. Because that's <laughs> the best way to shoot someone is right in the dick. <laughs> and he goes like, by the way, he goes like right through. The woman's gown, right? She's wearing right. some like sort of nightgown or something. It sets it up like a for hole. a while
1: too, because. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, he, for as much work as he put into the dick shot, he had like a head <laughs> shot or a hand shot. I mean, there were other ways he could have went, but this was a yeah. conscious uh, decision to go for the dick. And uh, good on him. <laughs> I loved it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And, uh, you know, after that, of course, you know, we've got the and then, you know, she runs up to him, the devil, in the like, oh, thank you, Robocop. Thank you for shooting that guy in the dick. <laughs> and, of course, after that, we've got the uh, we've got the politician who's holding hostages uh, after losing the vote. Right. Yeah. And uh, we after a brief standoff, we've got Robocop busting through the walls uh, in a shot that uh, for some reason actually reminded me of Ghostbusters of all the, the arms that busted through the, the walls in the recliner. Oh. Um, yeah, I'll give you that. I don't know why. It's like very different scenes, but for some reason, I guess just the arms busting through the walls. I
1: just like... saw that he was very fucking specific on his demands. He had like this, okay, uh, I'm gonna need a helicopter and, and a convertible uh, w- <laughs> with these kind of tires and a and a block-pumped radio, which is the first time I've heard a block-pumped <laughs> radio <laughs> mentioned in about 25 years, but good on him for asking for one. Um, I, I, the only thing I can think of is that Paul Verhoeven was like, you know, hanging out over in Europe and, and that's just the, the stereo system that he was familiar with. Uh, but yeah, it was very, very specific in his demands. And it bought RoboCop a lot of time because RoboCop, it should be mentioned. One thing that I love about RoboCop is that he's not a he's not a quick fella. He's very slow-moving no, he and not. methodical. That machine that machine is, you know, very heavy, like you said, and, and it appears as such in the film, uh, which is cool in some regards because it looks like it's solid and he's built like a fucking tank. And you believe yeah. it when he, like, picks people up and stops bullets and blah, blah, blah. But it also, like, you know, he, he sure gets to places really, you know, quite quickly to stop crimes <laughs> for how slow-moving of a threat he is. He's kind of like Jason Voorhees of... The police world, I don't know. Because like going back to the uh, convenience store robbery, she pushes the button to call the cops while she's being held up in the scene where he bends the muzzle, and he's there yeah. like five seconds later, walks through the front door. I'm like, oh, that's convenient. No pun intended. <laughs> well, see, he's got these uh, signal receptors is what it is. Right. Yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now this is actually a really good time to bring this up, okay? Uh, I- I'm going to tell this story about... Peter Weller putting on the RoboCop outfit for the first time. Okay. Now, obviously Peter Weller does not have a ton of acting to do in this movie. He knows that when he reads the script as does everyone else. Right now, Peter Weller was still very much committed to delivering a good performance. So he gets hired and it's about six months until they're getting ready to do this movie. Okay. And, Peter Weller actually studied acting for some very prestigious universities. Um, I I always get her name wrong, but there's a very famous acting coach by the name of like Uda Unger is something like that. Okay, the acting people know who I'm talking about. She's like one of the top five of all time. I, I butchered her name and I apologize for that. But either way, she studied under him. Um, and she ended, and he also ended up going to be part, become part of some like actor's studio that had some really like strong backing from like you know Sonnenfeld or like some some big players at the time, right? Probably getting the names wrong, but the point is the guy's been around. He's not just a guy who you know showed up for an audition. Like he actually uh, studied acting very seriously uh, for you know someone who I would argue is probably not that great of an actor. I'm sorry to say, but <laughs> doesn't matter. Okay, um, he was great for this role now. So six months until they get started, right? And Peter Roller really wants to impress. So what does he do? He goes to Juilliard, the College of Juilliard, and finds one of the world's most renowned mimes who is now (laughs) teaching at Juilliard. And he hires him to spend six months developing how he was going uh, to communicate through body language, Right. Because he's like, I don't have a ton of dialogue. All of the emotion, everything has to be communicated through body language. Because that's all I have to work he's with. He's way overshooting this. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> first of all, okay. Um, and to this day, so he tells the story about, uh, you know, because they didn't, he first, they show up in Dallas and they shoot all of the Murphy scenes before he's Robocop. So they're shooting those scenes and everything is going well. Now it's time to shoot the Robocop scenes. So they put him in, In the RoboCop outfit for the very first time, and he has gone on record as saying it is arguably the most disappointing moment of his entire life. (laughs) Because immediately (laughs) what they found is that this suit weighed close to 100 pounds. Oh, wow. Everything was said and done, right? To the point that Peter Weller couldn't even move in it. And so what they, what they basically had to do is work with the makeup artists. And over the course of several days, start cutting parts of it out. so that in ways that didn't affect the overall design and aesthetic, but would lighten the suit to where Peter Weller could actually move. Why is this so depressing for Peter Weller? Because he had developed and I should you not the animal that he had, had patterned his motions on for this cyborg character was a snake. And he worked with a mime who taught dancing at Juilliard for six months to learn how to move in what he described as a very smooth and slick and serpentine fashion. And immediately they put on that suit all six months of training, gone out the window immediately. He could barely move, so he certainly cannot move like a snake. And it was such a huge.
1: Go ahead. What do you think that looks like? What do you think RoboCop looking like moving like uh, – why would you envision a snake or, or some kind of like smooth s- – It would be very different.
0: I mean I, I mean, it's 100 percent different. But the, the fact of the matter is that it was such a big deal and Peter Weller did not respond favorably to it. So they actually ended up having to agree to shut down production for the first oh, wow. two days – and Peter Weller and his his da- his dancing, miming acting coach from New Yard <laughs> had to take six months worth of rehearsals, throw it all out the window, and come up with an entirely new approach in two days. What and the so fuck? so they were like, okay, you're no longer a snake. You're a beast. You're bulky. You don't move with a legato. You move with a staccato. Like, all of this stuff that they had practiced and rehearsed and formed this, like, very nuanced physical performance off of out of the window had 48 hours to to, to make it work. And so that's why we get this very stiff labored performance, um, is because that's what they came up. I would
1: give so much money to see the snake one though. I just want to see it.
0: It would have been so cool. But I mean, if you think about it, I mean, it would have been super cool if he did like a fucking T 2000 thing or something. Cause I mean, that dude's liquid. Sure. And Robert Patrick, that's actually where my mind went
1: right away is like, that's cause I'm trying to think of myself to myself. Like, what robot in pop culture history moves that way? And the only one yeah. I could think of is the, you know, T 3000 or whatever the hell. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so that
0: obviously informed a lot of uh, the performance. And so, you know, that's where they start adding the, you know, the bulk and the heft to the footsteps and adding a lot of those, you know, just again, just sort of embracing, okay, you know, this guy's a tank now. He's a beast. And so, you know, moving forward, the decisions that we make are gonna reflect that. But uh, yeah, old boy Weller was it's not acting. So
1: fantastic chef's kiss to me when actors are like classically trained at Juilliard and then go on like when Christopher Christopher Reeves <laughs> went went to Juilliard and then he goes it does Superman and nobody knows him from anything else other than the schlocky uh, Richard Donner's Superman shit, and he's, like, wearing tights and stuff. Like, none of that Juilliard shit really comes into play. And don't come at me with the Somewhere in Time shit, listeners. I know he was in Somewhere in Time or whatever the fuck <laughs> it's called. I never saw that movie. It looks silly. I should watch it. Maybe it's on our list. I don't know. I haven't looked at the list. But
0: yeah. I will say,
1: my point still remains, <laughs> Juilliard and Robocop, hand-in-hand, hand, chef's kiss. I love that shit.
0: <laughs> it's always It's always interesting when you find that, like, rare artist celebrity whoever who's actually like super super talented like way more talented than they have any right to be yeah like um Rutger Hauer was very much that way dude that guy spoke like seven languages and had a degree in nuclear physics no shit you're like what are you talking about that's like the the bad android from Blade Runner that has a (laughs) trouble speaking English It's like, well, yeah, he has trouble speaking English because he's got six other languages up there that are battling for attention. Do you speak seven languages? No, I'll be quiet. Um, Uh, Ashley uh, Kutcher is another one.
1: (laughs) Is he really or is that a joke? No, he's totally. I believe he's got a master's in engineering and he's like a totally brilliant dude. Um, And then went on to go star as the stoner kid from that 70s show with Kurtwood (laughs) Smith. Direct tie into RoboCop. Dude, uh,
0: Dexter, the lead singer from The Offspring, is one is one semester short of having a degree in marine biology. Weird. Yeah, dude. Like some of these people are like so they're like actually shockingly intelligent, but they just have to (laughs) pretend they're not because then people don't take them seriously as actors, musicians or whatever, where you're supposed to be dumb, you know?
1: Uh, listeners, real quick, just let you know, Jason and I, not those folks. Don't even Google us. <laughs> we don't show up on any registry. <laughs>
0: Honestly, if you Google me, you're just going to be like, wow, I didn't know Jason was a 6'8 African-American who used to play for the Eagles. Not that Jason <laughs> Peters guy. <laughs> not Sorry. that Jason Peters.
1: Well, maybe it is. <laughs> let him dream, buddy. Although
0: I think we're probably about the same age. I a boy can dream. Around the same time. Yeah. So.
1: It'd be funny <laughs> if I thought you were, in fact... That Jason Peters this whole time, and I was super disappointed right
0: now. No, no, I don't think offensive linemen have this nasally of a delivery (laughs) to their voice.
1: It's gotten us this far. It's gotten us this far.
0: It's our secret
1: sauce. (laughs) and as far as the movie is concerned when we get back to
0: it we've got bob having a standoff with dick in the bathroom they're both talking shit kind of john back and forth bob's like dick you're the old guard dick's like you gotta you better show some respect back and forth they go and then very shortly after that we see Robocop at yet another convenience store because hey, after all, this is the 80s, and there is a lot of convenience store robberies going on at the time. So sure, let's do two back-to-back convenience store robberies, except it just so happens that this guy is one of the original gang members, the uh, guy that he uh, first originally got on the couch, the red-headed gentleman. And as they are sort of, you know, as Robocop is approaching him from the parking lot, uh, he recognizes him, the, the bad guy does that is, and he's like, oh, And as Robocop is approaching him from the gas station, uh, he says, uh, dead or alive, you're coming with me. And then that triggers when Murphy said the same thing when he thought that he had him cornered before he got shot to shit. And so he's like, what, how how are you back? You know, we killed you, we killed you. And then that kind of triggers Murphy's own thoughts of like, oh yeah, that's right. Like he starts having these memories about, again, his family and about getting shot to shit. And so, you know, that's sort of triggered by that memory. And then also and so and by the way, Ryan, the next scene, is there something about 80s and 90s science fiction movies that have the greatest interpretations of what nightclubs are? (laughs) <laughs> will be like in the future <laughs> futuristic nightclubs 100 percent, one of my favorite tropes about sci-fi films <laughs> because they're always the same in the future girls don't wear tops at nightclubs they every don't. chick's top at a nightclub in the future is designed to have the tits cut out which is amazing Look, i can't here's i can't wait thing. for that
1: day to cut co- to show up every everybody loves titties okay Look, push it ahead 20, 30 years. We must have figured out by the 2000s how, the, how to get the titties out all the time. We, we'll have figured it out by then. Just write it in the script and it will manifest itself by 2000 dickety six and we'll get the titties out. It's going to happen. Free the nipple. I hope so.
0: I'm waiting for it, dude. I'm waiting for it. And, and, you know, and as well, of course, they do always have this similar thing, right? They kind of feel like 80s nightclubs, but they're usually just lit in entirely red and black. And uh, that's very much the case here. And we also get kind of this, there's several moments in this film where it's also just not afraid to be like goofy on like a very Sam Raimi Looney Tunes ish. Oh, way. very, very. And, and a lot of that is with like the ed 209. There's, there's two scenes specifically we'll get to there. And one of them is when he approaches the uh, Ray wise's gangster character in the club. And he's like, yo, you know how I'm going to get out of this. I'm gonna kick this giant Robocop dude square in the balls. Except, except when <laughs> so I much, do,
1: so much. I'm gonna get a cartoonish
0: clang, <laughs> right? So, so much. I mean, that does rend, lend itself a lot of creed, credence to the uh, cocaine theory.
1: Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. A bunch of dudes yeah. just on, on, on the 80s. Playing with their dicks. It's just such a dick era. The 80s. <laughs> I don't. I don't know.
0: Yeah, but you know, so his gangster character kicks him in the, and then we get this metallic like thong, right? And then he's like, blah! and he like grabs his foot. And then, you know, it like Three Stooges style turns around and then Robocop grabs his hair and pulls it. And then he's got this like modeling expression like blah, 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 right? With his eyes real wide. <laughs> and it's like, when, why didn't we turn into a, a Three Stooges sketch for 15 seconds his feet here? Are Where just little happen? feet are just
1: a going off the ground, like running in place and shit. <laughs> So great. Like,
0: like, 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 giant explosion, and then quick Three Stooges sketch, and then back to giant explosions. Like, it's the weirdest fucking thing, dude. Yeah. I mean, Um, for how
1: hyper-violent this movie, you absolutely nailed it on the head. This is very Sam Raimi-esque in its era for a different genre of film. Because... You, like, the bad guy henchmen dudes almost come off like Biff Tannen's henchmen from Back to the Future. Yeah. Like, they're very over-the-top, schlocky, Looney Tunes-esque. Um, and I've got a couple of scenes marked specifically. It says Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes right here in my notes. So you're, uh, I can't wait to talk to you about them. One of them is, is the ED uh, 209 or whatever the fuck it's called. So we're probably going to talk about the exact same thing. But yeah. Carry on.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, let's just go ahead and jump up to that. Cause there's that quick scene where, you know, uh, the, uh, character is doing the blow with the chicks. Oh, you know what? Real quick. That does bring a funny story. Okay. So he's doing blow with these chicks. Right. And in the script, there's a scene. So Clarence walks in and he sees all of them and he's like, bitches leave. Right. And then the two chicks get up and, and they leave. So, This is Verhoeven's, like I said, second English language film, speaks very, very little English. And so oftentimes he's just kind of going with the flow, right? Like, oh, everyone's saying this. I'm going to say this, too, because that's what these things are called. <laughs> and so they're trying to direct the scene with these two women. And, like, he doesn't know. He, like, doesn't really, like, know how to call anyone. So Clarence is like, bitches, leave. And then he's like, cut. And he's like, okay, everyone. Uh, the bitches. Bitches, come over here, bitches. We need to see <laughs> what to do with the bitches. And he, like, so to him, they're called the bitches. And so for, like... Three minutes, he's talking to everyone like, hey, what do you think the bitches should do? Should the bitches come or should the bitches go? <laughs> bitches, what do you think you bitches should do? <laughs> and everyone's just kind of like not saying anything and smirking to themselves well, while he's ooh, just going on that about cool, the bitches. And
1: can't do that. <laughs> that and
0: they're like, hey, for what it's worth, he said, okay, bitches, we're going to have you leave. And then they left. So good job, bitches. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. It is, uh, you know, what is he, Dutch? Uh, I just have yeah, a picture he's of Dutch. Saying this, exactly. Yeah. And his total Danish accent and shit, I just, like, <laughs> I love that so much. I think a Dutch accent's adorable. And him saying, bitches, leave in that little Dutch accent is just flawless, picture. <laughs> but also, Absolutely. like, if we went to, oh, we went over to Europe. Like, let's say you and I get dropped down ground zero in Germany. We're going to go make our first German picture. And we speak, you know, we just bought a book. We learned some broken German. And we heard someone, you know, use some slang in the script or whatever. We just start like, okay, that's what they're called. Great. I think I got this. And you're kind of faking it till you make it. And that's such an endearing story. I mean, it's not an endearing story the way you're pitching, you know, don't call women bitches, everybody. If you're out there listening. No, no, to- but I
0: mean, that's that's very innocent, right? Like, he's not right. literally calling them bitches. It's just a guy who doesn't know what everyone's saying. Hey. It'd be like a kid going along with it, right? Like, I have right. no idea what this means, but all the adults are saying it, so I'm going to say it, too.
1: Right. It's like when your yeah. baby learns it's the word innocence. fuck, and it just goes around saying fuck <laughs> around the house all day, and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Who's going to tell him? Well, let's let this ride out for a little while, because it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so um so yeah so
0: uh kind of a little bit of a of a funny little anecdote there but then yeah so and then immediately after that that's where uh robocop goes to confront dick at ocp and that's where we get the reveal of directive four right because he's gonna he's gonna shut dick down and that's when it's revealed that any attempt to arrest an officer of ocp results in shutdown so robocop starts to shut down because he was gonna attack dick dick then turns around and unleashes the Ed Two Hundred Nine. Uh, We get another awesome shootout with another of its glorious uh, stop motion animation. Uh, And then, you know, after RoboCop makes the Ed machine blow off his own arm, Uh, He decides to escape down the staircase (laughs) setting up like (laughs) one of the more anticlimactic and hilarious boss fights I've ever seen where the (laughs) robot like is at the top of the staircase and it's looking pretty gingerly and it taps its toe. And it's like, I don't know, but I guess so. And then it walks forward, (laughs) slips down the staircase. And then when it hits the bottom, they do the most brilliant thing of adding a pig squealing Sound nope. effect as it kicks its legs. So, this giant mechanical robot is on the staircase flailing its legs, like wee, wee. Whee! Whee! <laughs> and it's just like the funniest thing in the world,
1: dude But I love the little The, the foot, like, looking for the step And yeah. it's so Bugs Bunny, dude Where it's like, I wouldn't do that if I was you <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> Then it slips on a banana peel And falls down the stairs So classic, dude This oh, is dude, such it's... Bugs Bunny shit And then there's a later scene where he uh, You know, shoots the fuck out Or maybe it was an earlier scene, in fact Where he blows the fuck out of the uh, ED character's arms or whatever and it's got like a little foot twitch like it's just like a little foot quiver at the end i loved it so oh, yeah much.
0: that's the that's the very end after it blows the top off of it and yeah that's, that's another cartoonish thing where like you know pause legs come out with no body hover hover crash to the ground quick twitch like that, yep. that, that's all cartoon beats right there 100 very cartoon beats Yep. <laughs> i have watched a lot of cartoons and i know my cartoon
1: beats <laughs> absolutely i got another one too and we're gonna get to that shortly because i'm not gonna because that's at the very end. But carry on. So, okay. Well, oh, let me ask you also, this, Ryan. Well, we, wait, before you do, we need to get to Please. a couple things real quick because we've skipped over it. We've got two amazing, two more amazing fake commercials. We got the 6000 oh, SUX, yeah. <laughs> which is just so good. Swords? Such a good car commercial. The 6000 SUX uh, or the 6000 sucks. Um, Which I believe is making, I looked up, I guess it's making fun of directly the Pontiac 6000, throwing middle fingers to the sky, uh, which is weird (laughs) because that's a, it's a General Motors car, right? Pontiac. And uh, isn't that based out of Detroit? General Motors, uh, along with Ford? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, Motor City, 6,000 SUX, good stuff. And Nukem, which was actually my favorite commercial of yeah, the whole film. Like I loved Nukem, which is like <laughs> a, a dystopian battleship, which is fantastic. Um, which
0: I also, also feel like is, pro- is close to the types of games that come out these years. Like, Nukem could totally come out right now with its like oh, yeah. way too many rules and shit.
1: Right. Yeah, very... Yeah, correct. Absolutely. Um, and... There was a brief cameo did you happen to notice there was a brief cameo of like a homeless guy and they're asking about the crime and and RoboCop situation and I swore to god this was Eddie Van Halen um I'm going to put this up on the, <laughs> on the on the on Twitter I looked it up and everybody else thought it was Eddie Van Halen too it's apparently this other guy James Stazcole or Stazkeel, um, who's okay. a character actor and been in a million things uh, but at the time in Robocop, he, in this part, he looked exactly like Eddie Van Halen. I'm like, oh shit, uh, Eddie Van Halen cameo. He was like, you know, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, he's probably like, cocaine? What? Shows I was going like to say, the- dude, in the
0: 80s with all the beer and blow, I feel like everyone yeah. kind of a little bit like Eddie Van Halen. I'm thinking he shows up
1: onto the set like the clown from Death Clock. <laughs> 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 cocaine.
0: <laughs> oh God, uh, man! I well, so and then knowledge. let me ask you this, dude. So because I mean, you know, there's a lot of theories. We tend to touch on it in a little bit, but I would like to hear your sort of exact response. And that's, you know, what how what exactly do you think this film is? Right? Because I this so a few of the interpretations. Right? There are people that think this is a schlocky B movie. There are people that think this is an elevated action film. There are th- people that think this is pure satire. There are people that think this is a satire of action movies. There are people that think that is an action movie that features satire. So, like, there's a lot of different interpretations of what exactly this
1: film is. Just tell us flat out, how do you look at this film? Dude, I think it's all those things. And I'll summarize it by saying this. I think this movie is a happy accident. And I think that kind of goes harkens back to what I was saying at the top of the episode, wherein I don't think these people set out to make this movie. I think this was just one of those weird situations where uh, a perfect gumbo came out of something that could have easily gone awry. This movie probably shouldn't have worked in the same way that I would probably say Star Wars shouldn't have worked. You know, all through the making of Star Wars, you had all this different shit happening and people are like, dude, what the fuck is this? And they wanted to put disco music to it. And there's all these different horror stories about Star Wars. Now, let's stop right now and just say that don't quote me as saying RoboCop is the next Star Wars because I won't put those two things on the same level. But I will say that in the same way that Star Wars was a happy accident, uh, this was kind of a, a happy accident too. And I, I think that on paper, this movie probably shouldn't have worked. It probably should have been an elevated action movie uh, that turned out to be kind of a, a cult hit. Um, what What do you think?
0: Yeah, so I, I honestly, I think this is a B-movie. I think this is a B-action movie with satirical elements done as perfectly as this type of of film can be done. And a large part of that is due to the energy that Verhoeven brings to it. Yep. And it's I do kind of agree with what you say. I think it's a number of happy accidents that shouldn't work but do. Because, for example, if this film isn't – if this film doesn't have the breakneck pacing and over-the-top – aesthetic those comedy moments stick out like a sore thumb in a very right. bad way right but because we've got this sort of madcap energy overflowing throughout the entire thing <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and let it get away with that right because it fits in with that um i haven't, i haven't seen the remake but it seems like it takes it much more seriously and i'm sure that yeah, I mean, it feels it feels like the remake is trying to be more like Minority Report, right? And if you right. put, you know, these Three Stooges moments that we're talking about in Minority Report, it doesn't work at all. No, it's, the moments themselves suffer, and the film as a whole suffers, right? You put but the Western score,
1: works in Minority Report. It doesn't yes, work
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah, all of these things, but so like, so I think just the sensibilities of the director coupled with the sensibilities of the writers, it's like. I don't even think it's a matter of everybody complimented each other. I think everybody suffered from the same deficiencies <laughs> so the puzzle
1: pieces fit together. Like you and I, buddy. Welcome back. <laughs> Season three. That's Cinema. Um, Cinema. Yeah, Jason and I suffer from the same deficiencies and it just works. That's our special <laughs> sauce. Um, now I yeah. do real quick. Dude, I mean, just l- like uh, stopping dead ass in the middle of what the breakneck pace that we're talking about to cut to these fake commercials like what the fuck is that that shouldn't have worked like yeah. that have by the way that have nothing to do with the plot of the film uh to go to a game board uh you know family playing Nukem the game board game and and uh that you know the, doing a car commercial uh, you know at least the news reports they, which by the way we haven't mentioned they've cut to at least two more times i believe uh, at this point in the film so you know those have been used and but at least that's like kind of a little exposition, like, you know, meanwhile, back at OCP, blah, blah, blah. And they're kind of like doing these little (laughs) exposition dumps. But then, like, they they cut to these sloppy commercials. So there's all these little elements, like you're saying, that, you know, really shouldn't fit. But uh, I can't tell you why it works. It just does. It's perfect. Yeah,
0: absolutely. (laughs) Well, and so after that, you know, we've got this brief scene where Robocop beats the shit out of Clarence, and Clarence ends up admitting that he's working for Dick. He, uh, Robocop gets that video evidence. So Dick and Clarence have officially joined forces here, and uh, the gang ends up getting these giant like anti-aircraft guns. And it yeah. just so happens <laughs> that that night that the cops Such do end up going, move, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and, like the cops do end up going on strike that night. And so what better opportunity to go test those giant-ass guns than go downtown and blow up a bunch of stores and cars. Just and boy, strutting. did they ever blow shit up. First of all, <laughs> I, I, I love the fact, by the way, I don't know if you noticed this, I love the fact that everybody smokes these neon yellow cigarettes. And I didn't at notice. no point is anything explained about it. Everybody wow. just smokes neon yellow cigarettes, and not once does anyone ever bother to mention anything about anything about these damn cigarettes. Because, you know, so. the future. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. It's the future. But, uh, so they're, so, so they're down, they're, they're downtown and they're trying out these giant guns. Right. And it was super funny because there's the one shot where it's the last store that they end up blowing up. It's like an electronic store. And there's a little shot from the side before it cuts to like the wide shot up front of Clarence and Ray Wise's character, like standing there. And then it like blows up and you see them like, oh shit. Right. Like, so that was totally one of those moments where the explosion was not supposed to be as big as it was. And when it went <laughs> off, it got like surprisingly close to Kurtwood Smith and Ray wise. And so the, the production company actually came up and said, uh, Hey guys, you know, uh, you're a little close to that. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give you stunt pay on that. Uh, here's $400 a piece. You guys, you guys good with that scene? And they're like, yeah, no, that's cool. No problem. <laughs> and then Ray Weiss That's actually he was, he was being interviewed and he's like, from that point forward, anytime I did an action film, I always tried to get a little closer to the explosions than other than I otherwise would have. <laughs> See if maybe I could get a few extra dollars out of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, the grift. The grift.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then after that, we kind of set up the the final confrontation where we've got Lewis meeting Murphy at this sort of, you know, uh, junkyard of sorts, right? She's got a power drill and a mirror and we get some really great makeup effects as he ends up removing the mask. And we do see, you know, his face as it's sort of like stretched and peeled across it. And that was very intentional the way that they made that look. And, you know, this pretty much sets up a big shootout for everybody to just pretty much, you know, get shot up. And we've got the gang who ends up meeting them at the junkyard with these giant guns uh, now, the one character that does kind of get a unique death is that like punker guy, the redheaded guy, who ends up driving into some toxic waste and then mutating into the Toxic Avenger and then running around Dude, and terrorizing absolutely. his gang members.
1: Looney Tunes, mem- <laughs> Looney Tunes moment number six ninety three. We'll call it. Yeah, but yeah exactly this is in right. my this is in my notes because it literally says. Toxic Waste right on the uh, yeah. barrel. It's this giant, like, Acme-sized barrel that says Toxic Waste on. And then it's got... Uh, but it's just, like, hanging out in an alley, like, exposed for the public to do whatever they want with. No big deal. It'll just mutate you. No uh, no protective uh, situation whatsoever. just... Yeah, I mean and it's it's as casually thrown about as like uh, Montgomery Burns dumping toxic waste in the Springfield River and shit like that. I love it so much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's also just like certain decisions, like from writers' perspectives, where I don't know. For me, I always like try to imagine like actually writing out the script. And then being like, "Huh, it's kind of funny that that's that you went with that decision." So, because like <laughs> after he turns into Mutant Man, he he, he again finds Ray Wise's gangster character, and he's like, "Blow, you gotta help me! You gotta help me!" And Ray Wise's response is don't touch me man and then runs away <laughs> and I just love like sitting there in a writer's room like okay dude, so what does he say when his mutant friend rubs up and grabs him ah don't touch me man done let's go grab a beer bro <laughs> like, so oh, many lines of dialogue man. could have been delivered there and then here's the other thing for Ray to then sell the hell out of the line cause he's like don't touch me man that's not fun let's try this don't touch me, man! Right? Like, really sells it. So, like... And I love I love how much the actors just totally went over the top with this, like, absolutely. totally shitty dialogue. They're like, well, the words aren't great, but uh, let's have some fun with the delivery on this.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, by this point in the film, which we're wrapping it up here at this juncture, we're yeah, getting down to the seen. last few minutes of the movie, you know what this is. Like, This he's absolutely leaning into the schlock, and I just... Chef's kiss on the delivery. You're absolutely right. So good. Yeah. Well, and so one final
0: decision that they made. So, um, you know how we've got uh, this whole scene takes place in this like rusty body of water, so to speak, this little whatever lake that has gathered at this uh, junkyard. Um, that was, again, another of uh, Verhoeven and the screenwriters decisions using that uh, America prompt as it. And so. You know, one of the big uh, aspects of America is religion and Christianity. And so he wanted to get uh, he wanted Robocop to be something of a Jesus figure um, where he's, you know, uh, except uh, Jesus unleashing his vengeance, basically. Right. And so he wanted to get as close to him walking on water as he could. And so oh, that's why he wow. set the scene in a rusty lake, because he wanted to make this like G- this like violent Jesus parable.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I did, I think I did see something about that because, like, it has to do with, like, the death and resurrection, which is the RoboCop, you know, a whole metaphor. yeah, guy mean, so. dies,
0: brought back to life.
1: Wow. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Walks on water. Uh, also,
0: <laughs> uh, Nancy Allen, Nancy Allen, totally down actress, not one of those prissy actresses. Um, apparently, that was real rust in that water, and the water was super cold. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they they just had her roll around in it and no stunt doubles. And she just went with it, dude. So uh, between that and then getting her hair like completely chopped off, uh, which apparently actually, unfortunately, was uh, not great for her career. Um, Apparently. So they intentionally once they made the decision to move away from the love affair between Murphy and Lewis. Um, they really, really wanted to get away from any sort of like, you know, romantic angle. And so part of that is they kept, they kept asking Nancy Allen to cut her hair shorter and shorter to be like, you know, a little less feminine and a little less sexy. But it was like one of those, (laughs) it was actually totally like a Mr. Burns sideburn scenario where she'd keep getting it cut short and they'd be like, uh, Nancy, we asked you if you could cut it short. And then so that she's like cut another three <laughs> inches off and they'd be like, well, no, it's cute. But we, I thought you t- I thought we told you we wanted it short. And then so after like six <laughs> to eight haircuts, like she comes back with a pixie and Paul's like, why'd you cut your hair so short? Where'd it go? <laughs> so she was like super down, but, um, apparently they weren't, you know, they were not the easiest people to please. Uh, just cause she didn't get a lot of that direction. Um, But yeah, so, you know, we've got that whole shootout and then, you know, we've got the part where uh, Clarence Boddicker is going to go, you know, finish off RoboCop. And then lo and behold, RoboCop puts a spike directly in his neck, geyser of blood as Clarence is thrashing about all in this rusty lake, ends up uh, dying in a very over-the-top sort of way. Everything, all the bad guys are gone. And uh, that's when we get our final standoff with the ED-209, and he's actually, like, standing outside of the OCP building, guarding. RoboCop just parks, grabs that anti-aircraft gun, boom! Fires it off. And then we get a shot of RoboCop walking into the building. And then, yeah, that cartoonish shot where, you know, the entire top of the ED-209 is gone, and the two legs enter into frame from right, and they kind of wobble back and forth and then collapse to the floor, and then there's that little so twitch of the disc at the very end. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, you know, all is said and done when RoboCop crashes the board meeting, prevents the video evidence against Dick. Dick then responds by grabbing the old man, again, only refer to him as the old man, take him hostage, at which point, being the owner of the company, he immediately fires Dick and, at that very moment, Dick is no longer an employee of OCP. At which point, Directive Four no longer applies to him. RoboCop shoots him; he's dead. Owner is like, "Hey, hey, that's pretty good shooting there. What's your name?" Murphy. Bada da. Movie over, right? Like loved it. It's my ending. Yep. <laughs> and that is RoboCop. That is the end of this wonderful, wonderful piece of 1987. Uh, Magic. Oh, by the way, real quick, one Easter egg I have to have to say that I forgot about um, in the nightclub scene. Okay, so we talked about it before where the the Ray Weiss gang. I wish I knew what his name was. I just kept calling the actor's name. Um, But when the Ray Weiss gangster character kicks Robocop in the groin and then we hear that clang and he's like, ah, and he grabs his foot. There is a very quick cut from that. And it's like a blink and you miss it cut. Where he immediately cuts to a man who he sort of very sweaty with a lot of shaggy hair and he's underexposed so you can't really see his face but the camera is directly at his face and he's kind of mugging it up like that. right and you just get this very <laughs> blinking you miss it shot of this guy blah that guy going blah is Paul Verhoeven and that's an Easter egg oh, wow. intentionally used <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, uh watch that watch that nightclub scene again and again, hitch little and uh,
1: cameo there.
0: Yeah, directly after he kicks him in the balls, you'll see an, an underexposed shot of a guy mugging it up in the camera and that's Paul Verhoeven. So, I love this
1: movie, man. I love so
0: it. So much fun, dude. So much fun. So, uh you know, before we do our star rating, we've got to do our little feature that we like to call three adjectives. Ryan, I'm going to let you kick it off. As I do.
1: Okay, Um, starting off, I got uh, Four Star Meal, and what I mean by that is each course is planned, you don't feel overstuffed, the pacing of this film is just flawless. Uh, One thing we didn't mention is the—I mean, because we talk about the pacing a lot, uh, but this is the same editor of Die Hard, uh, Roadhouse, Total Recall, Cliffhanger, Tombstone— um, so, you know, this guy's, uh, all the way back to Midway from 1976, the war film. So, um, yeah, the, 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 editing has a lot to do with it, but, uh, yeah, four-star meal. I thought it was just a perfect amount of everything. Uh, you never really hung out, uh, too long in any one place and you're ready for the next thing when you got there. The next one is past bedtime fun. Uh, there's so much just late-night childhood nostalgia wrapped up in this. I don't care if you're watching it for the first time and you're 18 years old. It feels like your parents told you to go to bed and you snuck out and you're like, putting on Cinemax and you stumbled across RoboCop. (laughs) It feels like you shouldn't be watching this and you're just excited every time someone gets blown away. They make it fun. Which leads me to my last one, Rated R Action. This is 80s goodness in its finest. Uh, I loved it. I think I've used the the term 80s goodness uh, too many times on this film. So I went Rated R Action. This feels like... Uh, you know, Terminator, Commando, uh, First Blood, all those things, but wrapped up with a, you know, sci-fi twist with a little bit of uh, Dead Alive, Peter Jackson, Looney Tunes, schlockiness. Um, You know, something we didn't really talk about uh, really quick, I want to harp on, Jason, uh, to to that last one, Rated R Action, is that, uh, you know, the 80s, it did occur to me as I was watching this, I have my notes, that the 80s were kind of the first time that uh, sci-fi came into your homes. This was the era that technology was... In our lives, Uh, whereas in the 60s and 70s and 50s and 40s, it was always about like other worlds and the space race and going abroad and this and that. But this was Mm -hmm. the era of cell phones and watching movies in your house for the first time with VHS and Betamax and cassette tapes and all this portable technology that uh, came right and personal computers. That was all 1987 was the culmination of all these things. And so, um, you know, we were really kind of living in that moment. I mean, I think Back to the Future 2 was 88. So this was right on the uh, fringe of all of us kind of like, ooh, the future is now, you know, and and kind of living in that moment. And and this was the culmination of all that wrapped into a rated R movie, and I just loved it so much. How about you, buddy?
0: Absolutely. So, given the fact that uh, this is the first episode, or rather first yeah, no, first episode of season three. Uh, wanted to bring uh, a little little fun to the uh, proceedings here. So, Ryan, you're going to join me for another edition of Three Adjectives, Metaphor Edition. Are you ready to play, sir? Yes. Let's go. <laughs> good answer. Good All answer. Right. <laughs> so we've got three adjectives, my three adjectives For anyone that hasn't heard before uh, is a little game that we bust out from time to time Where I basically come up with some sort of fun descriptor For what my actual uh, one of three adjectives is And Ryan has to guess what that is So, uh, you know, for example If I was to say uh, this, uh, you know this uh, movie is a uh, day at Magic Mountain. That would mean it's a great time, right? Something like okay. that. Okay. Yep. So um, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and get into it. Couldn't help a little bit of uh, self-reference here, given the sketches and everything. So uh, first adjective metaphor, this film is an esoterica cinema sketch. What do I mean when I say this film is an esoterica
1: cinema sketch? Esoterica okay. cinema sketch. Yeah. Um, This was. These are double words, by the way, if that helps. Double words. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, this was uh, a parody of itself. This was not, it didn't really fit into the norm of its time, but it worked anyway. It was a breath of fresh air from an otherwise uh, critical genre. So, it's the schlocky action. Film.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, closer than than you would think, given the fact that, like, you know, any combination of words under the sun can be what we're talking about here. Yeah, uh, I have uh, the specific words that I used were playfully satirical. OK, this film got is it. playfully satirical in the same way and esoteric as cinema sketch is playfully. I was satirical. in the
1: wheelhouse. That's a neighborhood. Yeah,
0: Definitely. No, 100 percent, 100 percent. For my second adjective, this film is three virgins on prom night. What do I mean when I say this film is three virgins on prom night? Oh, man. Um, Oof. Once again, RoboCop described as three virgins on prom night. Ryan, what do I mean by that?
1: This movie is three virgins on prom night in that it is going to. I I got nothing, man. I don't know. (laughs) This movie is Three Virgins on Prom Night
0: in that it is action minded. That's right.
1: Action, action minded. minded. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> You love it and don't pretend otherwise.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, man. I love it. I do love it.
0: Uh, number three, here we go. This actually, this is like, this is the one that I feel like most is the most gettable just because it actually references something very right. specific. i right. one for two. Like- one for two. Let's go. <laughs> this film, RoboCop, is a mediocre-to-bad Sylvester Stallone film. When I say RoboCop is a mediocre-to-bad Sylvester Stallone film, I mean it is what?
1: Mediocre-to-bad... Sylvester Stallone film. This film has got a lot of demolition, man. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Survey says. That's an amazing
0: answer. It's absolutely wrong, but I wish it was right. Oh, man. <laughs> demolition, comma, man. Fantastic answer. <laughs> 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 Uh, no no ryan you're gonna have to go back about a decade when i say this film is a mediocre to bad stallone film that means it is over the top oh yes (laughs) hey
1: i was close
0: esoterica cinema sketch three virgins on prom night mediocre to bad stallone film playfully satirical action-minded, (laughs) over-the-top. Ryan, I am going to give my star rating. I really, really, really wanted to give this the full five, and I just, I couldn't. I'm i know. Sorry. There's, I'm with there's, you, bro. There's, there's so much of it where it's just like, dude, uh, I'm so, I can't. I'm so with I've you. I've got to take off a couple fractions here. So, so I took off one fraction because we do also talk about how, like, you know, when we did Dead Alive to open season two, I gave that a full five stars because whether or not it's a five star film, it was a five star experience. This is. Sure. Oh, so short of a five star mm. experience. So I'm going yep. to give it four and three quarters stars. All right. It's very very close, but I'm sorry, If 5 is is perfect and there's just there's a couple things that I just have to hold against it, but I mean this is I mean as you could tell from the last couple of hours like unequivocally recommend this film to anybody to everybody who it's wants a good, time. a good schlocky fun time. So, right. what do you got for your grade rating?
1: Uh, right in there with you, man. I'm giving this right down the middle A.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I can't give it plus. Yeah, it's just it's but it's uh, there's no it's way so I wouldn't close. tell someone to watch this. So, yeah,
0: yeah. And I and I, yeah, I mean, I mean, dude, I watched this film. I was filmed twice for this movie. Actually, I watched it because uh, we started because we announced the film a while ago. So I watched it once just to be able to watch it without having to take notes or anything. Um, yeah. Just because it had been a long time
1: just to let and it then, wash you know, it over And then
0: a couple weeks later, I watched it again and I had just as much fun as I did. So, you know, again, kind of like we talk about with our. You know how, like, Bowfinger, for example,
1: is like, dude, we could literally start this film over. I can watch it right now. I can put RoboCop on. And (laughs) By the way, if you think for a minute I'm not going to be watching RoboCop 2, I might even do a mini episode on RoboCop 2. Maybe we should do a bonus because I was doing the same. And I know it's going to suck, but it's like I I have to at this point. Here's the thing, though. Ready for this? You might already know this, but I did not um, because I looked it up. I was like, so what the fuck happened to uh, Verhoeven? Because he did not make RoboCop 2. You know who made RoboCop 2? No. Two people. Irv Kirshner, the director of Empire Strikes Back, and the guy who wrote it, Frank Miller. What? Yes. Frank Miller wrote RoboCop
0: 2? Like Sin City Frank Miller?
1: Yes. How bad do you want to watch RoboCop 2 right
0: now? (laughs) (laughs) No, dude, this is the thing that sucks about these. When you find stuff like this out about shit movies, it only makes them worse. Okay, Uh, because if it was at all good, people would like go check it out. If if this has Frank Miller and people hate it as much as they do, that means like it had to be worse than if some no name guy made it. Right. Because you're automatically getting a couple points bumped up
1: just because you have Frank Miller. Right, right. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that Frank Miller wasn't the Frank Miller he is today with the clout and shit. So like. I'm going to say that he probably, these guys are both taking a studio job. The studio wanted a sequel to sell more toys and merch. Robocop was a bigger hit than they thought. And they hired, that's my guess. I don't know this to be true, but that's what I'm assuming is like, this isn't, you know, these aren't some Hollywood titans coming in to crush a, a franchise. This is like, dude, we need another one of these. Could we hire these two kids out of film school? Yeah. You yeah, know, well, I mean, Ir- and Irv Kirshner was like moonlighting his career. He was on the way out. Like, this is, yeah. we're, we're well, what? Uh, you know, seven years away from, you know, ba- uh, off of uh uh Empire. So, yeah. Well, so the funny
0: thing is, as far as Verhoeven, outside of Starship Troopers, I don't think he's done another sci-fi. And the funny thing is that Total he- Recall. Almost. Did he do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. guess he did, didn't he? Oh, yeah. OK, so he's so, yeah, so he's done a few. OK, for sure. Well, regardless uh, the one thing that I will say is that it's very funny because he he almost did not do this movie. If, if if Paul Ver Paul Verhoeven actually was being courted hard by a bunch of studios to the point that he actually was in a position to select the films that he wanted to do, and he did not yeah. want to do RoboCop. He said Dude, he got what, through about. But why
1: were people courting him? Like who
0: was who found he did, this? Uh, he I, I guess the he did some like uh, like fantasy thing called blood and fire or something like that and i guess it did pretty well to really well or it was received very well or whatever or he had a very good right. style but yeah he did some fantasy film blood and fire whatever that was called blood and water whatever and i guess yeah and then but the other thing oh is yeah that he flesh had done and blood
1: like, i see it right here Flesh and yep.
0: Blood, that's the one yeah but then yep. he also did like six films back in back in his native country so like he already had like a good amount of films under his belt by the time he comes over and does this
1: he did, um, yeah. He worked through the '70s, but like not in like a mainstream, you know, American kind of way. I mean, you have said it was several the, it times, was the right?
0: cocaine '80s. What, what do you want? What do you want, man? I what guess I you're you? right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but either way, so um,
0: he got through 20 pages of the script and threw it in the trash. Didn't want anything to do with RoboCop. Was going to turn around, never to be seen again. And actually, his wife, who was a psychologist, actually. Somehow responded very strongly to a lot of the psychological examinations that they were doing surrounding like trauma and trauma repression and like was like, hey, you know, this could be deeper than you're giving it credit for. So like his wife convinced him to do this. So, yes, in case you wondered,
1: Paul Verhoeven, total wife guy, <laughs> total wife guy. Um, <laughs> it does. Yeah. Uh the bitches yeah tell us the bitches, the bitches. Uh, yeah um <laughs> what you call it uh it, your point does make me really want to know I, I wonder what the script for robocop looks like cuz like so dude, much the of original this is too. just this is, yeah is i wonder how crap. it reads cuz i know what it looks like on cinema on screen and that's fantastic yeah. the schlockiness and everything but i wonder how it reads uh it, that's I'm gotta sure you gotta can be, find one
0: out there dude i'm sure you can That's got to be an acid trip yeah Dude, screenplays are super quick to read, dude. They take like an hour, maybe.
1: Both dude, this minutes. one should take, yeah, 45 minutes. Uh, there's not a lot to it. It's because it's a lot of action. Anyway. Absolutely. All right,
0: well, that is RoboCop. A rating from Ryan, four and three-quarter stars for Jason. Going to go ahead and wrap things up here as we do by telling you that you can go ahead and check us out on our website, esotericacinema.com. Like I said, we went ahead and got that updated for you for season three. And among other things, you will see our new season three master list. That's right. It has all of the previous 180 films that were on there, plus the 20 new ones that we added. And you can go ahead and check that out on esotericacinema.com. And additionally, you can go ahead and send us emails, tweets, Instagram messages. We're the same on all of these esotericacinema, even Gmail esotericacinema at gmail.com if you want to send us. And then directly, I'm Jason Aberant. He's the Ryan Siebold. You know where to find us. Just hit us up. Give us a shout. And then this is, of course, where we get to the time to pull the new film that we're going to watch next week. Man, it's been so long since we've done a random film pull. can't even imagine, yeah. dude. Like so many options here. Uh, looking at some good ones right off the bat. We still got some schlocky stuff like a boy and his dog up at the top. We got some 90s classics like Ed Wood and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrel. Uh, looking at some high art in Taxi Driver, City of Lost Children, weird French movie. All these films that are just straight out of the esoterica cinema universe. You know them because you've been listening to us now for a couple of years or perhaps for the first time. In which case, welcome. We really hope that you've enjoyed your time here. Hopefully it's not the last. We're going to go ahead and select this movie from our random list using the random.org true random number generator that we have used for so long and that keeps all of the lights on by paying us a ton of money to plug them week in and week out. That, of course, may or may not be true. One through 200. (laughs) Let's go ahead and let's push the button. We get to film number nine. So keeping it up on that earlier stretch oh wow and we are we are starting off with a prestige film well not starting off because we started off with robocop but very much not robocop in terms of the film that was made we will be looking at amadeus yes that's right amadeus from uh well what year is that from but uh, I believe, if, I'm not, if I'm not
1: mistaken, that's a Milos Forman film. It is a Milos Forman film from 1984. Rock me, mm. Amadeus. This is <laughs> Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart is a remarkably talented young Viennese composer who unwittingly fields a fierce rival in the disciplined and determined Antonio Salieri. Resenting Mozart for both his hedonistic lifestyle and his undeniable talent, the highly religious Salieri is gradually consumed by his jealousy and becomes obsessed with Mozart's downfall, leading to a devious scheme that has dire consequences for both men. Uh, again, from 1984, directed by Milos Forman. This was one of my ads and cinematic confession. I have never seen this movie, so I'm really, really oh, excited man. to see this. Dude, I'm I'm really excited
0: for you to see it, actually. So this is a film that um it took me a little bit to get to. Uh, If it wasn't late high school, it was early college. And it's just as good as you want it to be, man. Um, all of the acting is remarkable, specifically F. Murray Abraham, just like what, like far and away the best role he's ever done by a mile. And he's a great actor. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So he's very, very good. And honestly, dude, like <laughs> I, I've just identified with Salieri for so long now because the entire crux of it is basically that like, regardless of how hard Salieri works at his craft, he'll always be mediocre. And Mozart just shits out hit after hit without trying. (laughs) And so it's just about living with being a mediocre talent and having life constantly rub that in your face. So yes, I very much uh, identify with old boy Salieri there. And uh, so yeah, I've seen this film, you know, three, four times, really looking forward to seeing it again. It's a wonderful film. I enjoy it every single time I do. Now we do have to say, because- There is a director's cut of this film and it's not much longer. However, the decision... The scene actually, in terms of the MPAA, the scene actually makes it PG to R. Now, I think the R rating is a little harsh, but the impact that that scene has on the character is interesting. So I'll say that, like, uh, you can watch either one. Um, as I recall, it's really just the, the the meat and potatoes of the difference is one specific scene that's not very long. Um, we can discuss that. but uh, So, yeah, either way, uh, you're going to be fine. This isn't going to be like a... Uh, uh, chilling of a Chinese bookie scenario where they're going to be radically different films. Got it. Okay, cool. So, yeah. So again, Amadeus, we will be looking at for episode two of season three right here on Esoterica Cinema. If you want to be part of that discussion, go ahead and watch that film. And it's a wonderful film, guys. I mean, you know, best picture winner. It has the reputation it has for a reason, right? This isn't one of those, just because it's a period piece, don't think that, you know, if you find some of those films boring, this is not a Merchant Ivory film. Uh, this is this is a really, really wonderful film that everyone needs to see. Ryan, I can't wait for you to see it for the first time. I hope you like it as much as its reputation and everyone else does as much as I do. And uh, either way, we will see you all next week to discuss Amadeus right here on Esoterica Cinema.